Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We continue our study. Now, we are at the last book here, or the last chapter of the Thessalonian letters. We've uh, had some time studying 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and uh, much pertaining to last day's prophecies and events that will come to pass as surely as the Lord lives. They will come to pass. Now, for us as believers in these last days, that we all have a state of readiness, a state of readiness in hearing, uh, in doing, but also in understanding the times so that we can redeem the times. If you're a pastor, you're listening and you're a pastor, have plans in place for an underground uh, format. Uh, underground operations, you know, face to face only. You know, it's very interesting to see and read reports of what's happening in the persecuted church and the model that they are, uh, adopting and adapting to. That is something that will be more widespread in the last days. Now, Remember, there are effectuators of the events that will come to pass. And I'm speaking, you know, referencing prophecy. Uh, there are effectuated effectuators of events that will come to pass. And today, 2,000 years ago, many things had to be in place and to, to, to make the prophecies in play. And, and so, you know, as evidence in the second letter to the Thessalonian saints. But today, these pieces are in place. And so this is the reason why we stress the importance of having a state of readiness in mind, in heart, in spirit. Things can happen very rapidly. The world can change on a dime. I mean, look at how the world changed so quickly with Afghanistan. Uh, look at how quickly the world is changing with Ukraine and Russia. And you're seeing the expanse of Magog and the territories of Magog, prophetically speaking. For such a time as this, these events are happening. Now, in this state of readiness, pray for the saints. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the workers and pray for wisdom. It's very important to understand our position in Christ as saints in these times in which we live. And so uh, we continue our study here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Brother Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And so what is Paul's prayer request? He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified or be magnified just as it is with you. You see, it's so beautiful to see the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Word, the fruit of God's doing, God's handiwork. And now you see the Thessalonican saints as a pattern. Paul's prayer request is that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you because we see the fruit in the saints of Thessalonica. Now, it's very important to remember Timeline-wise, is that the Thessalonian letters are the first epistles of Paul. After the Thessalonian letters, we see all the epistles of Paul written after the Thessalonian letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. 
And I love this because when we see this prayer request of Paul, and he says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, we see how the Lord answered the prayers of the saints. Because the word of God indeed ran swiftly, and the word of God runs swiftly today in our hearts because we're studying. We're studying the very epistles of Paul. And the Lord, in response to the prayers, you know, the word of the Lord spread swiftly 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, and it's still running today. You see? But also remember, if you reflect back, if you've been walking with us for a while, reflect back to our studies in the book of Acts and you see opposition to the word, opposition to the kingdom. You see? And it's difficult to do this, but if you look beyond the flesh and see the mission, look beyond the flesh and see the task at hand. Now, If you have difficulty in doing that, that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly fine. We we grow and mature together in Christ. But if you can, if you can indeed look beyond the flesh and see the mission, these are building blocks for being a potential worker. You see, we make the distinction between field and worker. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll understand more. We make the distinction between field and worker. And if it's difficult for you, beautiful saint, it's not bad. If it's difficult for you to look beyond the flesh and see the mission in terms of the harvest, in terms of planting seeds and sowing seeds. If it's difficult for you to see beyond the flesh, it's perfectly okay. It's A time for us to grow and mature together in Christ. But if you are able and in the face of the opposition that we face, the opposition that is against the word of God, that is against the kingdom and the mindset is, you know what? Forget the flesh. You know, I see the field. I see the task at hand. I see and understand that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And if you can see that, it could be that you're already a worker, you know, as the Bible describes. But these are building blocks for becoming a worker in the field. You see? And the field is vast. Vast. And the harvest is plentiful. You see, it's important for all of us to understand, you know, to to look beyond the... Sometimes, you know, saints, beautiful saints, it's like, oh man, I'm so bummed out because I can't see like that or I don't understand like that. Well, give it time. It's a, you know, a a, a five-year-old child who's bummed out that he or she can't do calculus. You know, it's like, well, hold on, you know, baby girl, you got some growing to do. You know, baby girl's got to grow up and understand that, you know, she's got to learn arithmetic and geometry. I'm going to say geology. (laughs) Learn geometry and, you know, all that other stuff. And they get to a point of, okay, now we can do the calculus. You see, but it's the same thing in Christ. Don't be bummed out that, you know, oh, I don't understand this and I don't understand this. Don't be bummed out. Be bummed out if you're on the wrong ship. But when you're on the right ship and you're a Berean and you test the spirits and, you know, with a noble heart, that's beautiful. 
That's beautiful. And then from that position, we grow and mature together in Christ. And you get to a level of maturity where there's the added level, which is to become deadly. You see, to become deadly. And I'm not speaking, you know, like physically and literally. I'm speaking spiritually. You could have little tiny noodle arms and you're deadly in Christ. Little tiny noodle arms, noodle legs, and, you know, tiny, but yet mighty in the Lord. And that's what we're talking about, warriors in the last days. Remember, just like we study, it just so happens we study in Joshua. The deadly pass over, the deadly cross over, the deadly enter the promised land. But it's the same thing in Christ. The same thing in Christ as we move on together to maturity. And so Paul's prayer request we see here in verse 1, you know, he says in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us. And you see the saints in Thessalonica that, you know, as he says in verse 1, just as it is with you. Now we see the, the saints in Thessalonica, they're growing. They have an understanding. The Lord is blessing them. The Lord is using them. But then at the same time, when they pray to the Lord, look at how the Lord responds. Because Paul's prayer request that the word may run swiftly and be glorified and magnified. And then understanding that the first and second Thessalonians was written before Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, was written before Corinthians. And then you see, wow, the prayer of the saints. As vessels of the Lord, using vessel Paul, using vessel Timothy, using vessel Sylvanus, using vessel John and James and, you know, Peter. And it's so beautiful because you see what? One body, many parts. You see? In continuation of Paul's prayer request, he says in verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Translates as that we may be rescued from wicked and injurious and hurtful and evil men. That's how it translates in the Greek. Now, remember, when it translates here in verse 2, that we may be delivered or that we may be rescued. Remember, in order to be rescued, this means that they're already caught and need to be rescued. Now, this is supernatural. Supernatural because it's by God's hand. But many people today confuse deliverance and rescue. They confuse deliverance and rescue as, I'm never going to experience the wicked and the injurious and the hurtful and evil men and women. But that ideology, that mentality is entirely wrong. Because we see in verse 2 that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. It's not to say that you're never going to encounter unreasonable and wicked men, that you're never going to encounter wicked, injurious, hurtful, and evil men. We certainly will. And some of us already have. Many of us already have. It's not to say that we're never going to have those encounters. It's to say that we may be rescued from those encounters. But then what does rescuing look like? Well, let's turn to John chapter 16. Open up your Bible to John chapter 16. 
And when you turn to John 16, in verse 32, John 16, verse 32, major prophetic implications as well and instructions which will help saints during the 70th week of Daniel. But we'll table that for another time. John 16, verse 32, indeed the hour is coming. Yes, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Now, this is the beginning of a different kind of faith, a different kind of belief, because what happens is that Jesus dies on the cross. But then at the same time, well, three days later, he's resurrected and then he ascends to the father and remember in john chapter 20 verse 29 jesus says blessed are those who believe without seeing you see it's a different kind of faith because it's one thing to have faith in what we see one thing to have faith in what we can touch what is tangible but what about to have faith in what is unseen You see, and Jesus says, blessed is he, blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's from John chapter 20, verse 29. And so Jesus is explaining to the disciples that the saints, you'll be scattered. But then something happens. He says, and yet I am not alone because the father is with me. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Notice the comparison here. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You see, in Christ there is a peace that surpasses all understanding, all human understanding, all human intellect. There is a peace that surpasses understanding, but that only comes in Christ. And once a soul is inside of Christ, understand that in the world we will have tribulation. Philipsis. Remember we studied this? Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we had our study where we're made for tribulation. We are Kemai for Thlipsis. Remember our studies through 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? That we are Kemai for Thlipsis. We're made for tribulation. You know, and to understand that even in tribulation, even in persecutions, a soul must abide in Christ. You see? And in Christ, there is peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Not, you might have tribulation. You will have tribulation. He says this, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is how he translates it. This is how it translates. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world is be of strong courage. Be of good courage to have courage. I have conquered the world. You see, it just so happens that we're studying the book of Joshua on Wednesdays. And what did the Lord say to Joshua? Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. 
You see? I mean, if you listen to our study through Joshua chapter 1, you know, I had a hard time in in explaining and teaching the way we did because very beautiful passages. But then we look at the qualifiers behind the passages. And it's not to say that these verses of being strong and courageous are not for any of us, but it's to say, understand the makeup of the mind of the heart in order for these verses to be effectuated in the saint. You see, in the believer. Now, if you're listening for the first time, or maybe you're just a Sunday listener, not just a Sunday listener. Well, you know, maybe we'll say just a Sunday listener. Be a Wednesday listener too. Study the Old Testament as well. We do on Wednesdays the Old Testament, on Sundays the New Testament. And from time to time, there might maybe topical. But very rarely do we do topical messages because what we, we go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept. And understand that, you know, when we have the full counsel of the word of God, we understand the character and nature of our Lord. Just like we study in Deuteronomy where, you know, in, in, in a part of a certain chapter, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember where the Lord says, I will not forsake you. But in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you. It's like, well, what, what happened? Did the Lord change his mind? No, he didn't change his mind at all. The people changed their heart. Because, you know, you worship the Baals, you do the asterisk, you worship the, the asterisk, the Baals, and, you know, the, uh, 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 Molech. There's forsaking of the Lord. But you look at the precursor to that, it's like, okay, a person makes his choice, a person makes her choice. You see, and so to be steadfast in the Lord. To be steadfast in the Lord and understand that in Christ, just as he says here in verse 3 of John 16, that in Christ that we have peace. But in the world, and remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And while in the world, we will have tribulation. No one is excluded from this. You see? No one is excluded from this. Remember, we make this distinction between Thumos and Orge as well. The wrath of God and the wrath of Satan. We make these distinctions. Because we're not under, we won't be under the wrath of God. But there is going to be a time of tribulation on the saints as the Lord, as the Antichrist prevails against the saints. Power will be given to him to prevail against the saints. But that's not to say that we will be excluded from philipsis, that we'll be excluded from tribulation because we surely will undergo moments of tribulation. And in certain regions, depending on where you're listening, you are already under heavy, heavy tribulation and persecutions. You see? These messages go all over the world in certain regions where we have listenership. Or it's deadly to be a Christian. And if that's you, you're listening. I want you to know that I pray for you. And I'm in communication with saints and I say, hey, pray for the saints over here. Pray for the saints over there. We as a congregation, as Hagios, as an Ecclesia of the Spirit, we pray for you. I pray hard for you. 
regions where, you know, you have to listen with headphones on because if anybody hears anything mentioned of Jesus Christ, it's deadly. I say, open up your Bibles over here and you don't have certain passages because all you have is a couple pages torn out of a Bible. And I say, open up your Bible over here and you can't do that and you feel like, you know, broken in spirit. That's okay. That's okay. We go verse by verse, line upon line. You see? I mean, it's beautiful. Because the word goes forth and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God doesn't return to the Lord in vain. It's beautiful. And so let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and understanding when Paul, writing to the saints of Thessalonica in his prayer request in verse 2 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, when he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. We see how the Lord responded to the prayers of the saints that his word will run swiftly and be glorified. And the word is running swiftly and glorified today. 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. But then when we study, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts, you see that Paul and the, his entourage and you know the seeds that they planted in the saints, they were under unreasonable and wicked men. They were under wicked, injurious, hurtful, and evil men. Was the Lord unfaithful? Because they weren't delivered? No, not at all. But we understand this deliverance to be that to be rescued from wicked and injurious, hurtful and evil men. And the Lord was faithful. Because we look at the book of Acts and you see how the word continues to go forth using his vessels. Understanding that, you know, our these bodies of ours, these earth suits of ours, we will undergo tribulation, but on the inside. On the inside, a peace that surpasses understanding. You see? It's like a picture like a car. There's a storm outside, you know, the hail is, you know, Pelting the car and, you know, maybe the hail is big and you get the dent over here and a dent over there and it's really, really heavy. It's cold out. But the occupants inside are nice and warm, nice and protected. The hail's coming. If you were outside exposed, you would be hurt because the hail, it's it hurts. Big hail, big, big chunks of hail. But inside, you're nice and toasty. Nice and warm. It's the same thing. Our bodies, these earth suits, we will undergo tribulation, persecutions. But inside, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see? He says this in verse 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and, um, and wicked men, for not all have faith. Or not all have belief is how it translates. Now, turn to John chapter 3 really quick. And in John chapter 3, 
Paul says, you know, for not all have faith. So what does this look like in John chapter 3? Well, we see in John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus Christ, he says, He who believes in him is not condemned. Speaking about the Son of God. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is that? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, Calvinists, Reformed theory people, they'll say, well, they were predestined to hell. Uh, they're predestined to hell, so, you know, that that's why. Now, if you're Calvinist, which is wrong, that's completely wrong. It's unbiblical. If you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. But it's wrong. The, 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 the formula, the theory, it doesn't fit Scripture. Listen to our study. It's a topical message. We don't have a lot of those, but it's a topical message. It's called Biblical Predestination. And you'll understand about predestination. You see? And while you're at it, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. And while you're at it, listen to another study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. Because you hear a Calvinist say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. We see in verse 18 that he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And the Calvinists will say, well, they're predestined for hell. It's wrong. The theory follows an unbiblical construct. So what is correct? What we see in verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. Light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light. Or translates as men love darkness more than the light. You see? They made their choice. Ball's in their court. Why is it that they love darkness more than the light? Well, we see here in verse 19. Because their deeds were evil. See, their deeds were evil. They made their choice. John Calvin would say, oh, they're predestined for hell. He's wrong. Light comes into the world and light came into the world. But when people love darkness more than the light, it presents a problem. Of course, in this life, but even more so in the life to come. Because by loving darkness more than the light, the choice is made. You see? Choice. We see in verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. You see, coming to the light requires denial of the dark. Many people have a love for the dark that is more than the light which breaks my heart but it's still a choice and people make their choice we see in verse 20 for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth you see it's not just hearers he who does the truth comes to the light. You see, it's not just believe. It's to do the truth. 
That's why we make the heavy emphasis that we as last day's saints, as a remnant, must have a deep, profound love of the truth. The truth of God's holy word. Genesis to Revelation. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of walking in righteousness. The fruit of walking according to the Spirit. You see? That they may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see? That's why Jesus says, look at the fruit because you can see the fruit of darkness. You can see the fruit of light. But you have to have eyes to see. Because someone might do their good deeds. Oh, look, I'm feeding the homeless. And, you know, oh, by the way, I go home and worship Buddha. I go home and, you know, I go visit the prostitutes. And, you know, I go beat on my wife and do all these things. I go worship Buddha. I do the occult. I do the Ouija boards. But I feed the homeless. Which has a semblance of light. But when you have eyes to see. It's like, well, it's still dark. It's still darkness. The person made their choice. You see, we have these understandings. And so, understanding this, we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We see in verse 2, Brother Paul who says, For not all have faith, or not all have belief. You see? Because false doctrine would say, well, they're, you know, God predestined them to hell for his glory. No, God's not willing that any should suffer, but that all should come to Christ. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Which is why he says, hey, Ezekiel, tell them, repent, repent, repent. Hey, Paul, tell them, repent, repent, repent. Hey, Amos, tell them, repent, repent, repent. It's true that Not all have belief. But why is that? You see? Is it because of what John Calvin says? No. His theories are wrong. Is it because of, you know, what the Reformed theology teaches? No. The theories are wrong, based on a lie. It's what the Bible says. That light came into the world and people love darkness More than the light. Okay, that's, you know, that's nice. That's nice, dear Christian. You tell me that Jesus died for me. That's nice, but look at, I love my crack. You see, that's what the non-believer will say. Oh, that's, that's nice, Christian. You tell me that Jesus Christ died for me. Okay, God loves me. Okay, that's nice. I like my prostitutes, my gambling. You see, I like my Buddha. I like my, you know, my, my Ouija board. I like the occult. I like my Wicca. That's nice. Jesus loves me. Okay. I love him back. But you know what I love more? The sex, the crack, the drugs, the whole nine yards. You see, people love darkness more than the light. They make their choice. It's still a choice. And so we see in verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. Trustworthy is how it translates. 
It's beautiful because, you know, light comes into the world and people love darkness more than the light. And which breaks my heart. I don't want anybody to love darkness more than the light. But I can't control anybody. I can't, I can't make people decide for themselves. I can't make the decision for somebody. I can teach. I can pour into. I can exhort. I can warn. I can train. But every single soul has a choice to make for himself or herself. Every single person has a choice to make for themselves. I made my choice. You see? And people love darkness more than the light. Okay, they made their choice. But what I love about that, man, I don't like it. But what I love about it, okay, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Because, and I tell you from experience, I've heard people tell me when I was younger, people tell, oh, God loves you, God loves you, you know, Jesus Christ died for you. Okay, that's nice. I said, I'm good to go. I'm a Catholic. Yeah, I, I was, I'm, for, I'm a former Catholic. I'm good to go. I'm Catholic. I'll live like hell and, you know, uh, pray the rosary and I'm good, like, good to go. Live like hell, you know, get drunk and whatever party and all this stuff. I pray the rosary. Okay, I'm good to go. Don't worry about me. The scapulate, you know, okay? If I die wearing the scapulate, I'm good to go. Go to heaven. I was under false teaching. Then I started to read the Bible and I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I was wrong. What? This priest told me this. He was lying. This other priest told me this. He was lying. That's not what the Bible teaches. You see? And when I was younger, be oh, God loves you. Okay, that's nice. You know, whatever. And I liked, I had pleasure in wickedness. And praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord that he didn't, that the rapture, that he didn't come then, that the rapture didn't happen then, that, you know, the events of the last days didn't happen then. Why? Because look at you and me today. I mean, you know, I'm just, depending on your age, you know, you might be like, 80 listening and you know you've been a christian your whole life you know so age restrictions you know you know given those praise be to the lord i mean if you've been a christian if you became a christian you know a week ago a month ago or 10 years ago praise the lord that he didn't come you see now understanding that what about praise the lord that he hasn't come yet and now understanding that, maybe my beautiful brother, maybe my beautiful sister, you can see the harvest and look beyond the flesh. Because the harvest is plentiful. Enormous, enormous, vast field. But where are the workers? You see? Where are the workers? Yes, it's true that people love darkness more than the light and the fruit of it is disgusting. Yes, it's absolutely true. But just as we studied on Wednesday, you have Rahab, a harlot. She wakes up that morning. She went to bed the previous night, a harlot. She wakes up in the morning, a harlot. She goes to bed at night, a vessel of the Lord. You see, because she made her choice. 
And that's what's so beautiful. If you're listening, you're not a believer. You know, I I rejoice in the fact that we have today. Why? Because today can be the day of salvation for you. For you. And if that's you, hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. We mature together. And I don't mean to just like, you know, you know say that flippantly. And I do not say that flippantly. It's a huge deal. It's a very huge deal. But you still hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. God loves you. Understand, he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what his word says. God loves you. And I know, I get it. You know, I've, I've been there. I know that there is pleasure in wickedness, but it is temporal. I mean, I, you know, I've been in parties before and I don't want to be overly descriptive, but I've been in parties before and there was an enjoyable aspect of that. But what it, you don't see in commercials, you don't see in the movies is waking up in the morning, you know, where am I? Where in the world am I? Waking up in a pool of vomit, you know, who is this person? Who is this person? Where, where, where am I? You don't see that in the movies. You don't see that in the commercials. You know, you always see, oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to party. We're going to do this. But you don't see the aftermath. You don't see 20 years into the future. You don't see 30 years in the future of a person dying of liver disease because they've drunk their lives to, to you know, to hell in a handbasket. You don't see that because that's how Satan lies because he wants to drag people to hell. I tell you these things from experience. I've tasted of the world and I've tasted of the Lord. And just as the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The same is for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Strung up on crack, strung up up on sex, alcohol, the whole nine yards, strung up on all that. There's a better way. There is a better way. And when you choose to be in the light and walk in the light, understand, just like verse 3 says, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is trustworthy. And he shows himself faithful, proves himself faithful. The Lord is absolutely faithful. Look at his handiwork. We see here in verse 3, look at his beautiful handiwork. The Lord is faithful who will establish you. Translate says, who will strengthen and confirm you. You see, that that's his handiwork. Strengthen and confirm you. And guard you, which is, you know, a, a military term to, to guard you, of course, but it's to, to keep you and guard you. And this is the Lord. This isn't you and me, you know, uh, 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 like guarding ourselves or being in a, which being in a position of, you know, uh, like a, a watchman on the wall or a watchwoman on the wall, which is also biblical. This is the Lord who is guarding. And the Lord is faithful. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one translates as from evil. And this isn't carnally speaking. This is not carnally speaking. Remember, it's not just to believe in Jesus because even the demons believe. But do they obey? No. 
You see, just like Brother James says, even the demons believe. You see, but demons never obey the Lord. They're in defiance of the Lord. They stand in opposition of Jesus Christ. But the demons know that Jesus Christ, who he is, the son of the most high. Remember the legion? You know, Jesus, have you come before the appointed time? Because they know the prophecies. They know the prophecies very well. They know, you know, they know that 70 weeks are decreed. And Legion says to Jesus, have you come before the appointed time? You see, they know. They're fully aware. And it's not just to believe because even the demons believe. They're fully aware. But they do not obey the Lord. They stand in opposition to the Lord. And they deceive people because they know they're going to hell, the lake of fire. And they want to take God's creation with them. You see? It's not just to believe, but in loving truth and doing truth to be, to, 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 uh, faith and works, belief and obedience. We see that in John 3, we, we, uh, uh, we see that in John 3, we see 2 Thessalonians 2 to love truth and do truth, what we just read in John 3. Understand that in this world, we will have tribulation. Not we might have tribulation. We absolutely will have tribulation. And this, as we see in verse 3, where he says that the Lord will guard you from evil. This guarding from evil is not to sin. It's not guarding from evil like we're never going to be exposed to tribulation. And a lot of times Christians get in trouble. Because I'm not saying I want tribulation. I'm not saying like, okay, you know, let's let's frolic into, you know, getting our heads chopped off and, you know, feel good about it. No, there's terrifying aspects of the events of the last days. And not just the last days, depending on where there's persecution, there's terrifying aspects of persecution. Terrifying aspects. Women who wake up. The husband was killed last week. Women who wake up. Single moms who wake up. Not in their own home. Their own home has been burned down. They have to sleep in the bushes. And they can't even sleep. They have to stay awake all night because if the baby wakes up and starts crying, then their location is going to be given, you know, it's going to be known. Women who wake up and they, they're going into, uh, you know, trying to flee to other countries. It's happening. Does that mean, does, does that make the Lord a liar? Because verse 3 says that he will guard us from evil. And look at the persecutions that are happening today. Does that mean that the Lord is a liar? Does that mean that the Lord is not faithful? No. But the Bible says that he will guard from evil. Yes. But it is not carnally speaking. It is not according to the flesh. It is of the spirit. Look at Stephen, the martyr, book of Acts. Stone, he was on the receiving end of stones. But yet, a peace that surpasses understanding. You see, in the same automobile example, 
He was receiving the dents, not of hail, but of stones. But inside, a peace that surpasses understanding. He looks up and he sees God. He sees Jesus. Remember our reference on Wednesday? In Hebrews 11, look at the women who were sawn in two. You see? Were they guarded from evil? No, there was exposure to evil. Does that make God a liar? No, because the women didn't sin. You see? The women didn't sin. Stephen didn't sin. The apostles didn't sin. Paul didn't sin. Remember Paul when he was left for dead? And he didn't sin. And that's the guarding from evil. You see? People say, oh, I mean, you know, the Lord, the word says that he's going to guard me from evil. And, oh, this person called me a bad name. And that means that, you know, makes me feel bad. And that means that God isn't. But the word says that God will guard me and he's not guarding me. So, okay, I'm, I'm done with Jesus. I thought I would become a Christian and everything was going to be fine and dandy. And look, I became a Christian and God's not protecting me. So I'm done. You know what that is? That's a short-term believer, just like we see in Luke chapter 8. That's the short-term believer. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ and I love him. And God sent his son to, to die for me and you know, I used to love darkness and now I love the light and oh, this is so beautiful and oh, this person called me a name and this lady's talking behind my back and this other guy's talking behind my back. And under false teachers, false teachers won't explain this accurately. They'll say, oh yeah, the Lord will guard you, the Lord will protect you from, from evil. And so a person under the teaching of a false teacher, all of a sudden they're like, well, wait a second. How come, how come I thought everything was going to be fine for me? This guy is making fun of me. This lady's making fun of me. This guy over here wants to kill me. This guy over here says, if I deny Jesus Christ, I get to live. And he wants to, you know, beat me up. And, and the Bible says that, you know, I'll, the, the Lord will guard me and, the pastor over here says that, you know, I won't experience anything bad. Everything's going to be fine and dandy and things aren't so fine and dandy. And Maybe I don't believe anymore. Maybe I'm done with Jesus. I had a, a nice little walk with him. I walked with him for two years, five years. I thought it was hardcore. But no more. I'm done. Oh, that crack used to be so good. Now I'm going to go back to the crack. Oh, that, you know, the sex and the alcohol that was so good. Now I'm going to go back to that. Oh, you Christians, you're so stupid. Look, I tried that and you're so stupid. They called the exvangelical movement, which is on the rise today. The exvangelical movement. There's a reason why we say the things that we say, you know, the four categories of the last day's church, the last day's church being false, apostate, entering apostasy or true. Because when you understand in accordance to a biblical formula and a bib biblical construct, you understand what is happening with such a person. People say, oh, that person never believed. They were never saved. That's, also, that's false. That's, 
That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theory. Oh, that person was never saved. Baloney. They believed. They walked with Christ, except they let go of him. You see? Short-term believer, Luke 8. That's what's happening. The Calvinist, the Reformed theory person say, oh, that person never believed. But they're wrong. The construct of Reformed theology doesn't fit Scripture. The truth of Scripture just doesn't fit. Flat out, point blank, it doesn't fit. Therefore, what do we do? Trash can, throw it away. You see, in Calvinism and Reformed theory today, pastors are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Man. I'm, these are, these are easy. The construct doesn't fit the truth of Holy Scripture. Oh, but they never believed. Rubbish. They believed, but it wasn't for the long term. You see? Well, why did they walk away? Several, many reasons. Many, many, many reasons. Oh, the Lord's not guarding me. This guy says he's going to beat me up and I don't want to get beat up. So, And the Lord says that he's going to guard me from evil and he's not guarding me from, from evil. So maybe there is no such thing. Maybe I was wrong to believe. The Lord is not faithful. These are the conclusions that people come up with. Because they have not a teacher. They have not a pastor. How dare you say that? I got a pastor. Look, he's got in the pastor parking spot. And look, he's got his theology degree. That's nice. What does he teach? Does it align with scripture? You see? These are difficult to understand and accept according to the flesh. Difficult to understand according to the flesh. But according to the spirit, it's a different ballgame. But I don't want to face persecution, tribulation. The Bible says we're made for this. Jesus Christ says in this world we will have tribulation. But in him we have peace. You see, it's just like that automobile taking the hail hits, you know, hits, bing, 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 and, you know, ding, 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 and dent, dent, dent. But inside, nice and toasty, nice and safe. Same thing with us. The shell of these earth suits will be exposed to danger. But in the heart of hearts, Nice and safe. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Picture the women who were sawn in two. You see? Picture Paul on the receiving end of stones. Picture Peter hung on the cross. You see? Picture John. Put down into burning tar. And he didn't die. The flesh taking the hits. Stephen, the, the martyr. The flesh taking hits. But in the heart. A peace that surpasses understanding. But I don't want to face persecution. I don't want to face tribulation. Listen, we're made for this. 
Remember, Jesus Christ says they hated me first. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. For such a time as this, here we are. You and me. Here we are. I say you and me because I speak individually. I know that there's, you know, whole like listeners here, listeners there, listening, and you might be listening and have other people with you. Home fellowships that gather and listen. And for all of you, I love you, but I speak individually. I'm called to prepare the bride for her wedding and adorn her with beauty for my king. That's my calling. But it is not according to the flesh. It is according to the spirit. And the Lord is, as surely as he lives, he is faithful. He is trustworthy. And he does establish and strengthen and confirm, just as verse verse 3 says. And he does absolutely keep and guard us from the evil one or from evil. But it's not according to the flesh. You see, God is faithful and Paul explains the parameters of this safety. Remember, just like we studied in Joshua, if you listen to our study on Wednesday, it just so happens, it just so happens. The parameters of safety. And in verse four, Paul says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do. Notice you do present tense and will do future tense. The things we command you. You see, Paul, a vessel of the Lord, this holy bubble with Silvanus and Timothy and Titus and Priscilla and Achilla and Chloe, this beautiful entourage, this beautiful bubble. Paul is training the next generation of pastors and teachers and ministry leaders. And he says here, both you do and will do the things we command you. Understand that he's a vessel of the Lord. Paul is of Jesus, a vessel, a servant, a friend, and of the Spirit, a co-worker. In Paul, the formula is right. Submission to such a man is good. You see, I mean, for, for a man to say, for a, for a person to say, I have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you do and will do the things that I tell you to do. I mean, in one regard, like, who is this guy? Like, what? Who, who is it? Who, who is she? Who is he? Who is this kid? Who is this old guy? Who can say such a thing? For a person to say, I have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that I command you. The audacity. Who can say such a thing? Number one, anybody can say it. But let's put that person aside. And let's look at your heart. Let's look at your mind. Let's look at your love of truth. Let's look at your heart, whether it is noble. Let's look at your heart and your mindset to see, are you a Berean and do you love truth? And if the answer is yes, and I pray the answer is yes, 
and you study the scriptures, yes, just as the Bible says, to show yourselves approved, but then at the same time, with a noble heart. We look at the formula. We read the book of Acts. We see the things that Paul went through, the things that he experienced. He's not married 10 times. He's not married five times with, you know, all his previous wives are still alive. That doesn't apply to Paul. He was single. He stayed single. That was his recommendation. I recommend that you stay single. Why? Oh, so you don't have to put up with her. So you don't have to put up. No, no, no. That's carnal. The reason why is Paul says, I wish that you would say as I am, which is single. He says, so that you can serve the Lord fully and completely serve the Lord. That's why. You see the hands and feet of Paul, a vessel of the Lord. You see what he says when he goes into synagogues, when he goes into regions and certain parts of the land. And not just that, what he pours out in his letters. And as a Berean, you study the Old Testament, the New Testament, as a Berean. Now, when Paul says in verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. As a Berean, you know, okay, it's safe. The formula is right. Submission to Paul is good. Submission to Timothy is good. It is healthy. Submission to Titus, it is good. It is healthy. You see? But does that apply to just any pastor? Is submission to just any pastor good? No. In some cases, deadly. In some cases, you'll burn in hell. Oh, but the Bible says I got to submit to the pastor, those who rule over me in terms of the faith. Yes, absolutely. The Bible does say that. But let's put the pastor to the side. Let's look at your heart. How much do you love truth? How much are you a Berean? How much do you know the scriptures, which is a gift of the spirit? Because when those things, little check marks in your heart, okay, bing, 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 you you're a Brian, you have a noble heart, you love truth, and bing, bing, bing. And now you're able to understand and know. Because uh, a pastor, pastor parking spot, standing at the pulpit, 10,000 people in the church. And he could stand at the pulpit and say, you know, everybody, it's okay for Christians to take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And those who love truth know. That's a lie from the pit of hell. A pastor could stand at the pulpit and say, hey, everybody, we're going to go grave soaking. Come on, let's go lay on the graves. And the person who loves truth will know that's an abomination. You see? We have to be wise in these last days because Satan has imposters. Satan has his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. That's how they present themselves, ministers of righteousness. How will you know? Because yes, it is biblical, it is beautiful to submit yourself to a pastor. And I'm, I'm, that, that sounds terrible to say that, you know, especially in this day and age. 
But when you look at the formula, you analyze formulas and understand that the godly pastor watches over your soul. For Paul to say, you know, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you, to submit to Paul and his counsel and his teaching, you'll enter paradise. To submit to Titus and his teaching, a student of Paul, and his guidance and his teaching and it is safe. You'll enter paradise to do that with Timothy. It is safe. You'll enter paradise. But to do that with just anybody? In some cases, you'll enter paradise. In some cases, you'll enter hell. In some cases, you'll be in the wilderness forever and most likely a short-term believer. You see? Satan has his servants. The Lord has his servants and Satan has his servants. But in the case of Paul, it is safe. Look at the saints in Corinth under the, under the teaching of the defunct. And then look what happened. Look at the fruit that was in the church. You don't see that fruit in Thessalonica. Why? Because they're under the counsel of Paul. They're submitting to Paul. The saints in Corinth, they're submitting to the defunct. Except for beautiful Chloe. Hardcore. I love Chloe. You see? And the saints in submission to the defunct made them defunct. No fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the flesh. Disgusting fruit of the flesh. And then there was a separation. Paul says, okay, remnant, separate from them. Because it's leaven. But submission to Paul, beautiful. And so we see here in verse 5, now may the Lord guide, or may the Lord direct your hearts, which is to guide your hearts into the love of God. Notice, guide your hearts or direct your hearts. I mean, there's guidance in terms of, you know, uh, turn left, turn right, go over here in a literal sense. We see that in, in the book of Acts with very, very, remember, Paul's not like the average bear. We see that with very special people. And not special in terms of, you know, like, oh, let, let's, you know, give homage to these people. No, like when Paul says, uh, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. He's dead. He says, I'm dead already. I'm crucified with Christ. He made his choice. And to understand, like when you get that Macedonian call, they were going into certain regions and the spirit of the Lord through a dream says, no, we want you. To, I want you to go over here. The Lord is calling you over here. He wakes up in the morning, says it to his entourage, his little bubble, says it. They pray about it. They seek the Lord. So, okay, the Lord says, we're going to go over here. Now we're going to go over here, the Macedonian call. There is literal guidance what to do, how to do it, when to do it. You know, there, there is that literal guidance. But there is acuity in that walk. But in verse 5, we see, may, may the Lord direct your hearts. I love that. May the Lord direct your hearts. Because you can be anywhere 
You can be anywhere in the world. You can be in wherever. You can be in Miami. You can be in Timbuktu. You can be in Europe. You can be in Africa. You can be in the Middle East. You can be wherever. And yet the Lord is directing hearts. The Lord is directing hearts. He says in verse 5, into the love of God. You see? Beautiful. Into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. This translates as the cheerful endurance and suffering of Christ. You know, you look at these two parts in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And you figure, you know, not to say that that's a piece of cake, but I meant in some regards seemingly easy. The love of God. Remember, the formula must be right. A profound love of truth. And in some regards, okay, that's easy. But then, no period, it's and into the patience of Christ. That's not so easy. That's not so easy. And that's the danger of walking according to the flesh. Because the more carnal that a person is, that any of us are, the more carnal, the less, the, the more difficult this understanding becomes. You see, the more carnal any of us are, the more difficult it is to understand deep spiritual truths. Because when we understand when the Lord guiding and directing our hearts into the love of God, and into the patience of Christ. Well, we understand that Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us that our Lord Jesus endured the cross, that he despised the shame, and yet he still endured. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. Because of the joy that was set before him. Translates as the joy that was placed in view of him. You see? And with eyes to see, spiritual eyes, not carnal eyes, with eyes to see, you and me, we can view paradise and understand that's our destination. That's where we're going. And also understanding Acts chapter 14, verse 22, knowing that we must, through many tribulations, Enter the kingdom of God. Oh, but I thought we're supposed to be guarded from evil. Yes. But it's spiritual. It's internal. It's inside the temple. Inside the temple. Look at the temple in the Old Testament. There was rain. There were storms. There was wind. Which beat on the outside. But on the inside, it's completely different. Just like the car example. The outside, there's exposure to the storm. But on the inside, it's a different ballgame. Not to liken the temple to an automobile, but I'm just you know giving this explanation of inside, what's on the inside. 
So we look at verse 5 and it's like, okay, that the Lord may direct our hearts, okay, into the love of God. Okay, I like that. Okay, I love that. You know, oh, oh, yeah, this is beautiful. You know, this is this is beautiful because the Lord is doing this work and into the love of God. And okay, I love that. It's beautiful. Piece of cake. But then we keep reading. And into the patience of Christ. Whoa. The patience of Christ. Well, what did the patience of Christ look like? What did he endure? And as he endured, even enduring the cross and despising the shame, understand that it's because of the joy that was set before him. What about you and me? What about you and me? I mean, look at the look at what what great lengths people go to for you know for a title or for a, a prize. They look at a trophy. Wow, I want that trophy. I want first place trophy. And you know, if I want first place trophy, I gotta swim like crazy. I gotta run like crazy. I gotta whatever it is. You know, I gotta say it's like a, a fifty yard dash or whatever it is, hundred yard dash or a two mile run or a ten mile run. And I want that first prize. I want that trophy. And so what do they do in preparation? They train. They train. They keep their eyes on the prize. Enduring the training, the rigors of training. How much more for you and me? When Paul says, I don't count myself to have attained already, but I press forward. I keep my eyes on the prize, he says. I run my race. He says to the saints, run your race too. Remember, Paul is a pattern. John is a pattern. Titus is a pattern. Timothy is a pattern. Chloe, Priscilla, Achilla, Lydia, Phoebe, patterns. For emulation. You see? Because we look at verse 5, okay, that the Lord will guide us into the love of God. Okay, piece of cake. I like that. But the patience of Christ? Look at what he endured. Look at what he endured because of the joy that was set before him. What about the joy that is set before you? The joy that is set before me? Yes, we're going to take hits. But inside the temple, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Paul says in verse 6, he says, But we command you, brethren, you see, Look at the saints in Thessalonica and put yourself in their sandals. But we command you, brethren, okay? It's like, you know, Paul has a command for us. Paul has a command for us. They recognize who Paul is. The formula is right in Paul. We command you, brethren. Paul has a command for us. Okay, we're going to do it. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so this is serious. This is serious. What is it that Paul is commanding for us? I mean, let's put ourselves in the in Thessalonica for a second. Let's put ourselves here. You and me, we get in the time machine. We go back in time. We skip Corinth because, you know, we heard about Corinth. Let's go to Thessalonica. Different. Still a young church, just like Corinth, but Corinth was under the, the, the tutelage of, 
the carnal, the tutelage of the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. But I like Thessalonica under the teaching of Paul, Silvanus, and little Timmy. And Paul says, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Whoa. That's heavy. Paul has this command in the name of the Lord Jesus for saints to withdraw from, which is to abstain and avoid from every brother. This is inside the church. Just like what Paul said to Corinth. Just like what Paul says to Corinth to separate from the leaven. When the Lord cleaned house using vessel Paul, well, how did Corinth get to their state? Well, look at the defunct pastors. I blame the pastors. I blame the elders. I blame the overseers. They were defunct. You follow the defunct, you're going to be defunct. I don't want you defunct. Don't follow the defunct. Because you're defunct, that's not good. That's deadly. The bad deadly. That's like, you know, potentially lake of fire deadly. I want you deadly, but the good deadly, like the warrior deadly. Not the bad deadly, the good deadly. You see? We make these distinctions. And Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you would draw from every brother. It is inside the church. So what are the qualifiers? Okay, we're going to separate, we're going to abstain and avoid every brother. But what are the qualifiers? And Paul says, who walks disorderly? Who walks this is, uh, conduct of life and conduct of living. And this conduct is disorderly. You know what disorderly, how it translates? Put on your seatbelts. This is how disorderly translates. Paul says to withdraw from every brother or abstain and avoid every brother inside the church who's who walks, which is conduct of life and living, disorderly. And this is what disorderly translates as. And I love you. Disorderly is unruly. It's to be in insubordination. It also translates as as an addict, habitual involvements. That's a big deal. The church is in big trouble. The church today is in big trouble. Look at pornography. Forget the world. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. Thessalonica is Thessalonica. I'm talking about inside the church, among the saints. The church is in major trouble. Just pornography alone. What about gambling and drugs and alcohol? This is inside the church. And, you know, the three biggies, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the three biggies. There's others. You know, there's like the occult and the wicked. Not to excuse them and say they're permissible. Completely not permissible at all. But look at addictions in the church. There's more addictions. 
sex, drugs, alcohol, pornography, strippers, prostitutes, gambling, the casinos, the drugs, the meth, the crack, the heroin, the whatever inside the church. And the Bible says that's disorderly. Because it includes addictions. It includes habitual involvements, which is encompassed in insubordination. It's encompassed in being unruly. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. It's what the Bible says. Listen, we have a profound love of truth, remember? And of these, Paul says, avoid them. The church is in big trouble. Major trouble. Because saints are compromised. Pastors, overseers are compromised. Among the pastors, defunct. Because Paul says, avoid them. And today, you know what people say today? Avoid Paul. Avoid the people who teach in this manner. I'll give you an example. An example. Say we're inside a church where there are milk drinkers of 10 years. People who've been, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ 10 years. And the fruit is evident. They speak Christianese, but they also speak Corinthese. Very worldly. Speaking about the sex and the drugs and the strippers and all the, all things carnal. The fruit is evident. Not just in what they speak, but how they behave. And they always speak about spiritual war and being under attack. Oh, brother, God bless you. Oh, sister, God bless you. I'm under spiritual attack. Oh, really? What, why, why, brother? What's happening? Why, sister? What's happening? Well, I'm under spiritual attack because, you know, there's this and that and coming against me because of this and that. And you're like, well, wait a second. I don't really see a spiritual attack. I mean, you're not a you're not opposed to Satan. I don't I don't see any opposition to Satan. It's almost like you're welcoming Satan by living like this, by having these behaviors. I wouldn't call that a spiritual attack. I would call that, you know, like a like you, you you've laid the sword down. You you've taken off the armor. You've laid the sword down, and I don't see a spiritual attack. You're like defecting away from truth. And yet they explain, well, I'm under spiritual attack. Can you pray for me? Satan's attacking me. And you're like, wait a second, you know, not not to have sympathy for the devil, but I don't really see attack of Satan. I see stupidity. But I don't see an attack of Satan. And they always be, oh, I'm under spiritual attack. Can you pray for me, brother? I'm under attack. And Satan, he's really giving the demons. They're really, they're really fighting against me. And when really what is happening is that they're disorderly and living in habitual sin. Oh, I'm under spiritual attack. I went to visit the prostitutes last night and I'm under spiritual, spiritual attack. 
Oh, I'm on a spiritual day. Can you pray for me, brother? Can you pray for me, sister? I did the, the, the meth last night. I'm under spiritual attack. And you're like, let's, let's not call that an attack. You, you ran to that. Let's not call that an attack. You willingly, and in some cases, gleefully, ran to that. And yet they call it a spiritual attack. Notice what is being identified. No spirit. No spirit. Why do you say no spirit? Why do you, how dare you say no spirit? I'm a Christian. How dare you say no spirit? Now remember, it's possible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Listen to our study through Acts chapter 8. You'll understand. So why do you say no spirit? Well, where's the helper? Why is it that you, why is it that you ran into, you know, that bed of evil, be it sex, drugs, alcohol? Why is it that you ran into that? Oh, it's spiritual attack, it's spiritual attack. No, 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 no. You ran to that. Well, I still have the spirit. Okay, I'll concede. But in one sense, it's kind of worse. Why are you quenching the spirit? Why are you extinguishing the spirit? As we studied in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You see? So given that example, you and me, we're new to town. We're finding a church. And, you know, we, we say, we listen, and we observe. And we see the, not the fruit of the Spirit, we see the fruit of the flesh as evidenced in the people, the teaching, the we understand formula, formula of pastors, formula of elders, formula of sanctuary. Understanding that in sanctuary, there's going to be the meat eaters and the milk drinkers and the in-betweeners. Milk? Okay, why milk? We understand the formula and then we come to the conclusion, okay, this is, this is Laodicea. I know it has truth on the door. It says church on the door. It has a picture of the Bible on the door. It has a sword on the door. It has a shield on the door. And look, they say they speak Christianese. But this is straight up Laodicea. And say, for example, a prostitute. She she becomes a believer. And joins in that fellowship. And in that fellowship, they teach what the Bible says about bearing one another's burdens in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, which is a biblical truth. And yes, the Bible does teach that, to bear one another's burdens. But for this beautiful former prostitute, who's a brand new believer, for her to exercise this truth within this body of believers. Babies for 10 years, milk drinkers for 10 years. For her, for this former prostitute, who's a beautiful newborn in Christ. For her, for her to bear burdens in that church, which is a biblical truth to bear one another's burdens. But for her, it is very dangerous. 
For her, it is very dangerous. You know why? Because look who she's bearing burdens with in that fellowship. Oh, but the Bible says we're supposed to bear burdens. 100%, absolutely. But don't forget the formula. You see? She bears burdens with a guy who's a sex addict. Oh, God bless you, sister, he says to her. Oh, God bless you, sister, speaks Christianese. Remember, former prostitute, she's, you know, I, I say prostitute, but, you know, whatever, you know, maybe perhaps entrenched in other behaviors. Formerly, she's a new Christian, new believer, which is beautiful. But the new believer going to the milk drinker, not good. The new believer going to where it's more mature, who understands, okay, this person needs milk and needs to move on to perfection, good. But for this new believer, befriended by this guy who has his sex addictions, hey, sister, look, the Bible says you have to bear my burdens and I'll bear your burdens too. And come on, let's meet for coffee. You see? Do you see what's mixing together? Making room for the flesh, giving excuses unto the flesh. These, the guy could say like, oh, it's spiritual warfare, I'm under attack. He can call it spiritual warfare, whatever he wants. But with the milk drinkers, for this new believer to be enjoined with the milk drinker, it is very dangerous. Highly dangerous. Inadvisable. You see? And pastors and non-pastors alike. Oh, let's just love on people and let God take care of the rest. You see? Pastors and non-pastors alike, and yet they're alike in their stupidity. Why? Because it is the path of destruction that has such mindset. In the example we gave, the guy and the gal, they meet up, they meet up frequently, and all of a sudden, they fall carnally. And I don't want to be descriptive, but you have an idea of what that looks like. But they fall carnally. And this is inside the church. This example I'm giving, it's inside the church. You say, it's just an example. Is it really? Because this is running like wildfire in the church today. Sexual sin. Sex, drugs, and alcohol, the three biggies. There's more, but those are the three biggies. And this happens under the leadership of a pastor who is defunct. Yes, defunct. Look at Corinth. The defunct pastors of Corinth before the Lord cleaned house using Vessel Paul. You see? I say Vessel Paul, but don't forget Vessel Chloe. You see, under the leadership of a defunct pastor who has no spirit or has extinguished the spirit, this knowing this and understanding this, knowing this in accordance to formula, it is revealed that such a pastor is a hireling or a wolf who is a servant of Satan, which is also commonly found in big churches with wide roads. Look for the narrow way. I'll give you another example. 
A church has 50 souls. 30 souls are in habitual sin. Through prayer and counsel and time, guided by a pastor, 25 souls leave the fellowship. You say, wait a second, that's that's bad because they left. Yeah, there's there's an aspect of, okay, that hurts, you know, it's bad. But there's also another aspect of maybe it's not so bad. Why is that? Because now the church, which was formerly 50 souls, 30 were in habitual sin, 25 have left. So that means that of those 30 that were in habitual sin, 25 have left. That means five have returned. So now we have a church of 25 souls. 25 souls. They were formerly 50, but now they're 25 souls. All women. Because <laughs> the men left. They were stuck in their habitual sin. A lot of sexual sin among men. Pornography, strippers. You know, they got the apps now. You know, you're out. And you, oh, wife. Oh, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm working late tonight. I'm working late tonight. The guy goes to his app and says, okay, here's this. Okay. I like what she looks like. I like what she looks like. Okay. Hit the button here. We're going to meet in this hotel. Do this. Do that. Okay. I'm going to go home. Oh, okay. Hi, wife. I had a busy day at work. And the wife is, has no idea that the husband was doing his dirty business. You see? So now we have a church of 25 people, all female, because the men are stupid. Maybe there's a couple guys. Now, like in the earlier example, the prostitute. Instead of going to the big church, she's a believer in Jesus Christ. Now she comes into this 25-member church. I say member, but, you know, 25 souls church. And she learns to bear one another's burdens. Not only is it safe for this former prostitute to bear burdens in this small fellowship, it is beautiful. Fruit can flourish. In this environment. You see. It's beautiful for saints. To bear one another's burdens. But there's dangerous aspects to that. And when the formula is right. Within a sanctuary. It's so incredibly beautiful. To bear burdens of the saints. But when the formula is wrong. And you see the evidence of the fruit. And you see the fruit of the flesh. Instead of the fruit of the spirit. It is entirely dangerous. And you know how that happens? The overseers, the pastors, the so-called pastors, the so-called elders, because they're defunct. They're defunct. Just like we see in Corinth. Oh, look, the Lord is with us because we have a thousand people in the church. The Lord is, is growing. We have the fruit of the Lord and we have a thousand people in this church. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with numbers. We see the fruit of the Spirit, which is according to the Spirit. You see big churches and a lot of carnality 
It's not to say that a church is never going to be carnal because we're in these earth suits. Remember, we, we make the distinction between meat eaters and milk drinkers. And meat eaters do make mistakes, which are dealt with. In accordance to the word of God. I don't mean like, you know, dealt with, okay, you make a mistake, okay, we're going to kill you. No, it's nothing like that. There's corrective measures that are the Bible establishes and are put in place. Remember, just like the Old Testament, the whole purpose is for people to be right with God. For people to be right with God. Okay, you're in sin, brother. Okay, let's get you cleaned up. You're in sin, sister. Okay, let's get you cleaned up. There's a specific formula in accordance to the new covenant. You see? For the prostitute to go into one church and to to, to bear the burdens of the milk drinker and for the milk drinker to bear her burdens, do you know how dangerous it is for this new believer? I mean, it's dangerous for the guy too. But I mean, like a milk drinker for 10 years, what do you expect? He's on milk for a reason. Remember, beyond three years, you know, that... Beyond several months, we're getting into Levin territory, just like we see in Corinth. Three years, arrested development. Milk drinkers for three years, now you're getting, okay, why you want milk? When it's beyond three years, that's Levin territory. You see? Why is this person on milk? Habitual sin? Where the Bible does address habitual sin. Habitual involvements. Behaving in addiction. It's called unruliness. It's called insubordination. You see? And Paul says, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. A church is in trouble. I have a message for pastors, specifically to pastors and only to pastors. If you're not a pastor, close your ears for a second. My message to pastors is this. Keep God's house clean and pure. Or burn in hell. I'll say it again. My message to pastors and only to pastors. And if you're not a pastor, close your ears for a second. And my message to pastors is this. Keep God's house clean and pure or burn in hell. A person's blood on themselves, that's one thing. But a person's blood on themselves, because of you, that means the person's blood is on you. A person burning in hell because of you and what you teach or fail to teach, I'll say it again, a message to pastors and pastors only. If you're not a pastor, close your ears. Keep the house of God clean. Keep the house of God pure or burn in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Pastor. Okay, now you can uncover your ears. If you're not a pastor. Today we have a luxury of church shopping. There's churches on every corner. 
Got a cross over here. It says church over here. It says Christianity over here. It says truth over here. It has a picture of a sword, a picture of a Bible. It has all the commercials, the marketing, all this stuff. We have a luxury of church shopping. 10,000 churches with 10,000 pastors. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. What does Paul say to the saints? Remember in verse 6, he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That's heavy. So somebody says, oh, I'm a sex head. You know, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to the prostitutes. I'm addicted to this. It's like, okay, I'll help you, brother. You're you're, you're a, a baby Christian. You've been a Christian for a month. You don't know any better. So I'll help you, brother. A person who's been a Christian for 10 years. Oh, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to sex and the strippers and all these things. Okay. Now, listen. I'm abstaining from you. I'm avoiding you. You see? That's that's what the Bible says. And pastors need to keep God's house clean, understanding that judgment comes first to the church. Prophetically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. It's not just me saying the church is in trouble. It's the Bible that says the church is in trouble. It's Peter who says the church is in trouble, who's inspired of the Spirit, which says the church is in trouble. Why? Because judgment comes first to the church. And I speak to the remnant in saying this. Those with ears to hear and eyes to see. When you identify somebody Inside the church, the world is the world, Corinth is Corinth, but inside the church who is unruly, disorderly, and insubordinate, and is in habitual involvements as an addict, be it sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, abstain and avoid them. And I just echo the words of Paul. That you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and in verse 6, and not according to the tradition which he received from us, or not according to the precepts which he received from us. Remember, Paul's not like the average bearer. How many times did we say that in the book of Acts? Remember our study in the book of Acts? If you've been walking with us for a while, how, how many times did you hear us say, Paul, he's not like the average bearer? He's not like the average bearer. There's something different about him. Remember how all the saints, even the apostles were saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go go to Jerusalem. And the spirit was saying, Paul, I'm with you. You Chains and tribulations await you, Paul. All these saints were saying, Paul, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. And the spirit was saying, Paul, go ahead and go. Or not just go ahead and go. Go. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Where do we see the red letters? With Paul in Jerusalem. The Lord is with Paul. And the Lord is with the saints too. Not to say that, you know, Paul is, you know, like, you know, leaps and bounds above these other guys. Not to say that in any, any way, shape, or form because the Lord has many vessels. 
but there's something different about him. He is not like the average bear. Remember his correction unto Peter in our study in Galatians? And even Peter acknowledges and says, listen, when, when, when Peter writes his letter, he says, listen to Paul. Listen to what he says because the Lord has him. He has these deep understandings, which many people twist to their own advantage. But listen to Paul. Look at the humility of Peter because Peter was on the receiving end of correction. And yet, you know, this state of humility, being humbled by truth through vessel Paul, acknowledges, okay, Paul has this deeper understanding. And he says to the saints, listen to Paul. He doesn't get on a high horse. Oh, how dare Paul? How dare you say this against me? How dare you say this? I walked with Jesus, Paul. How dare you say this? No, he doesn't say that. He says, you know what? You're right. You're right. Remember, it's iron sharpens iron. Rubber cannot sharpen iron. Styrofoam cannot sharpen iron. You see? Balsa cannot sharpen iron. You see? A little blade of grass cannot sharpen iron. It is only iron that sharpens iron. You see? And Paul says, these people inside the church, male, female, I don't care. But these people who walk disorderly, which is unruly, insubordinate, and in addiction, and not according to the precepts which he received from us, He says, abstain from them, avoid them. You see? Now, for a vessel to say that, you have to be a Brian to know that what the vessel says is true. You look at the formula. Oh, Pastor Jennifer says this. That's nice. Pastor Jennifer, disqualified. Covering always male. Always male. Elders, pastors, always male. Oh, this, you know, uh, Pastor whatever, Pastor Mike, you know, he says this and he's on his third marriage and, you know, his previous wives are still alive. Pastor Mike is an adulterer. He's on his third marriage. His third wife's a crackhead. She's crazy. And Pastor Mike is saying that I need to separate from this and this and this. No, Pastor Mike is disqualified. Don't listen to him. The formula's got to be right. What Paul teaches is not against the word of God. What Timothy teaches is not against the word of God. What Titus teaches is not against the word of God. Because they're servants of the Lord. I mean, if you ever met a rich guy who has like servants in his home, the servants do exactly what he wants or what she wants. That's what the servants do. But when a servant doesn't do what he wants or what she wants, servants get fired. 
servants of the Lord, they do the will of the Lord, the will of the Master. You see? Servants who don't do the will of the Master, they don't just get, get fired. They get placed in the fire. My little warning to pastors. If you're a pastor, you heard. If you're not a pastor, you had your ears closed. This is hardcore. Hardcore, but there's no other way to live. You see? We don't live a lukewarm life. I mean, if you do, repent. Be lukewarm no more. I don't want any of us to be lukewarm. But when you understand the truth of God's holy word, and Paul is saying, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions or precepts which he received from us. Remember, Paul's not like the average bearer. Neither are Silvanus and Titus and Timothy. They're not like the average cubs either. Why? Because they're being trained up by Paul, the next generation of pastors. He says in verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. You see, this, Paul's not boasting. I mean, when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's not boasting. And like, oh, look how awesome I am. Look how cool I am. And yes, follow me. Oh, look, I'm a spiritual leader. Oh, look how cool I am. Awesome. Oh, look, all these people are following me. Oh, look, I'm an influencer. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't have his private jet. He doesn't have his motorcade. He doesn't have his mansions over here and mansions over there. And yet he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't forget, he was left for dead after his stoning. I say left for dead, but left for dead after they dragged him out of the town. I mean, if you ever seen like a fight and the guy who loses and they're like knocked out, you can slap him around a little bit and you, you see, okay, he's not dead. He's still alive. You slap him around and he's still alive. But to be dragged from point A to point B and the whole time, you know, at point A, you think, okay, he's dead. But then at point B, like you're dragging him and then you still think he's dead. And then at point B, you leave him for dead because you assume him to be dead. That's a severe beatdown. And that was Paul. But he wasn't dead. The Lord was gracious unto him. His vessel. Paul, we got work to do. You see, he's not boasting in verse seven. He says, you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. It's not to say, oh, look, I'm an influencer. I got, you know, five million people on social media. I'm an influencer. I got my private jet. And look, you got to follow me. Follow me. Look how cool I am. No, 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 no. That's carnal. He's not boasting of himself, nor Sylvanus, nor Timothy. But the formula is right. And they are patterns. The Lord says that these people are patterns to follow, to emulate. And in these Thessalonian saints, Thessalonian saints, Thessalonian saints, which isn't Corinth, they have a good model to follow, a faithful model to follow. He says, you know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. You see, they lead by example. 
They lead by example. You ever see a pastor? It's like, oh, you know, oh, this is a great expositor of the Bible. You look on social media, he's getting drunk. Oh, look, he's a great expositor of the Bible. He's a pastor over here and all oh, the church is huge and he's taking pictures with the strippers. You look on social media, he's with the strippers. It's like, what? Oh, look, this guy's a pastor. Oh, look, he's an elder. He's an overseer in the church. You, you look on social media, his wife's on crack. His wife's doing, you know, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards, going to the casinos and gambling. It's like, what? You say, oh, that's the wife. Don't blame the pastor. No, listen, in the in a pastor's home, in the overseer's home, in the elder's home, there are other qualifiers. You look at the wife, you look at the kids. Oh, this guy, look, he's a pastor. He's an elder. Oh, look, he's a great expositor of the Bible. Daughter's on crack. Son is sexually active. Wife's crazy. He's disqualified. Biblically, he is disqualified. Do not follow such a person. I'll say it again. If you're not a pastor, close your ears. I'll say it again. Pastors. Specifically to pastors. If you're not a pastor, close your ears. Keep the house of God clean. Keep the house of God clean. Keep the house of God pure. Because if you don't, you open the doors of hellfire damnation. You open the doors of weeping and gnashing of teeth for yourself, pastor. Okay, now you can uncover your ears, everybody. Paul led by example. You see? Same with Timothy and Titus led by example. And the saints are hearing Paul write, or seeing Paul write, and they're hearing it when it's read in front of the fellowship. You yourselves, you know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly. It's like, okay, I'm going to stand the pulpit, I'm going to teach, and then, okay, everybody, let's go, let's go get drunk tonight. What's the point? Because faith without works is dead. Belief without obedience is dead. That's what Brother James says. You see? Oh, he's a great expositor of the Bible. Stand at the pulpit, teach. Oh, he's a great expositor of the Bible. Come on, everybody, let's go grave soaking. What? What is that? You see? Because real leaders lead by example. You see? What does the home look like? Fifth marriage, previous wives aren't dead, disqualified. An adulterer, wife's crazy, on crack, and kids are crazy, sexually active daughters, sexually active sons, disqualified. Because if such an overseer can't keep his house in order, it is impossible for him to do it in the house of God. Impossible. You see? The church is in trouble. I'm at 
What pastors do you know would stand up at a congregation and say, you know, raise your hand if you're in habitual sin and, you know, say, assume that everybody does it. I mean, not everybody, but everybody where it applies. You have a church with a hundred people and okay, everybody raise your hand if you're in habitual sin and 50 people raise their hand. That's already half, which that's pretty generous. Because a lot of people are in habitual sin, male and female. The rise of pornography in men, but the rise of pornography in women. A lot of young girls too, young teenagers. You know, I want to, I want to have a boyfriend and I don't want to keep him happy and I don't know about sex. So I'm going to learn about sex. How am I going to learn about sex? I'm going to watch this pornography so I can learn how to please him. Foolishness. This is inside the church. The world is the world, which is bad. I don't like it. But I'm talking about the church. You want to learn about sex? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. The Lord has a specific formula. Marriage. You see? But don't forget what Paul says. It's better not to marry Better not to marry, not so you can be single, not so you can be, you know, live the bachelor lifestyle or the bachelorette life. No. Single to please the Lord and the Lord only. But that's Paul's recommendation. It's not a commandment. It's just a recommendation. And Paul says it from experience because he was never married. So the pastor says, okay, everybody raise your hand if you're in habitual sin. 50 people raise their hand. It should be more, but we'll just give an example. So half the church. And then he says, okay, how many people, uh, you know, of the people who've been a Christian for under three years, you know, let your hand down and say half of that. So 25, I'm terrible at math. So 25 people put their hand down. So now you have 25 people left who have their hand, hand up. And these are people who they have to leave the fellowship. You see, they have to leave the fellowship. And I just use these numbers for like easy math, you know, 150 and 25 and I forgot already, but you know, I'm not good at math, but I meant for easy math, I'm giving this example, but that's biblically what should happen. Maybe not at, at the onset, once a pastor identifies, listen, there's habitual sin here. We got to talk about this. We got to pray about this. Here's the game plan. This is what we're going to do. Not game plan, but I mean, here's the blueprints. Here's what needs to happen. Because remember, you're in habitual sin. We got to get you cleaned up. We got to get you, male, female, you're in habitual sin. We got to get you cleaned up. You know how dead the pastor has to be? Just like we said, just like with the leaven or uh, uh, the leprosy. You know how dead the priest has to be? For a female to come to him, you know, I think I'm a leper. And for the priest to say, okay, I got to see it. Now, it's one thing if it's on the elbow, but what if it wasn't on the elbow? You see? You know how dead the priest has to be? To turn around or bow his head, close his eyes and say, okay, expose this part of your body where where you think it is and, and I'll look at it. You know, she says, okay, it's ready, you know, or, you know, I'm done or, you know, whatever, the, you know, like it's exposed. And so like he looks up and he sees and he sees flesh. 
I don't want to be descriptive, but it's not the elbow. And he sees the flesh to observe the leprosy and nothing else. And in his mind, in his heart, he wants her as clean as can be, not for anybody else but the Lord. And he confirms, okay, it's leprosy. Puts the robe down. Okay, it's leprosy. Now, these are the blueprints. This is what we have to follow. This is how we get you cleaned up. This is the process by which we get you cleaned up. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to fast for you. And this is how we get you cleaned up. And I want you, you know, in the camp, in your tent, I want you there as soon as possible. But together, we're going to wait on the Lord. We got to get you cleaned up. And that's Old Covenant. Not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But picture baby prostitute. I mean, prostitute, but a baby in Christ. So, you know, not a baby, but, you know, baby in the faith. She comes to the pastor and starts explaining sin, habitual sin even. I'm caught up in this, I'm caught up in that, and I'm a new believer and I don't have, I don't know how to fight like this. I don't know how to do like this. Do you know how dead the male pastor, remember coverings always male. You know how dead the pastor has to be? You know how dead he has to be? The same mindset. We got to get you cleaned up. And not for anybody else, not for anybody, only the Lord. That he may be glorified and that he may receive all the glory, not for anybody else, only for Jesus. We got to get you cleaned up. Beautiful, 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 precious sister in Christ. We got to get you cleaned up. You know how dead the pastor has to be? But you know what we have today? Lady, hey, you know, pastor, I need counsel. I need counsel. The lady, okay, step into my office. Okay, the lady explains this. And the pastor thinks, wow, look, this is for me. Foolish, foolish, foolish pastor, servant of Satan. Minister of evil and wickedness, servant of Satan. Who presents himself as a minister of righteousness who will burn in hell. That's what we see happening today. But when you know the formula, you know, okay, I'm not going here. That guy's crazy. I'm not going to go here. That's a servant of Satan. This guy wants me to take the mark of the beast. That's a servant of Satan. This guy wants to go grave soaking. What? Servant of Satan. I'm not going there. This guy teaches replacement theology. That's not in the Bible. I'm not going there. There's this other one, okay? The doctrine seems to be right, but he's on his fifth marriage. I'm not going there. He's defunct. Look at his home, defunct. You see? Because you know the formula. Pastor wants to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. 
different ballgame. Paul, Timothy, Titus, lead by example. Paul says in verse 7, you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. You see? Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. You see, pastors who are freeloaders. You hear a knock on the door. Hey, look, the pastor's here. Pastor comes in. Hey, God bless you. How you doing? Raid your fridge. Raid your fridge. Eats everything and, you know, everything. Look at the, the inflation today. Look at the cost of everything. It's so expensive. Yeah, going to a, 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 a family of four. You know, the husband has his job and, you know, the wife takes care of the kids and, you know, knock at the door. Oh, look, the pastor's here. Come on in, pastor. Pastor speaks Christianese. Hey, God bless you, all this, you know. Hug here, hug there. Okay, how you doing? Laugh here, you know. God bless you, God bless you. Raise the fridge. Eats all your food. And says, okay, goodbye, God bless you. See you at church. Now you have no food. You see? Why? Because he's stupid, the pastor. He's a fool. We see here in verse 8, nor did we eat any anyone's bread free of charge. Be careful with pastors who are freeloaders. Pastors who are freeloaders. The offering plate, passing the offering plate. They call it the love offering. Oh, we're going to have this love offering. A little conviction, you know. Because if you don't offer, that means you're not loving. Oh, we have this love, the, the love offering. We're going to pass around it. You know, be, be, before worship service, we're going to pass this. We're going to do it after worship. We're going to do it before the sermon. Pass around this love offering. Pass around the, the offering so you can give your love offering. Then we're going to do it after the sermon. Love offering. And then people think, wow, if I'm really hardcore, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give for every single one because I'm really hardcore. I'm, I'm, I'm really holy. So the first plate comes, okay, offerings. Next plate comes, ne- offering. Next plate comes, offering. Next plate comes, offering. Wow, look how hardcore I am. Look how full of love I am because I give the love offering where every plate that comes around. Pastor goes buys his private jet. New mansion. You see? Clergy tax code. Advised by his CPA. Not advised by the Holy Spirit. Be careful with freeloader pastors. And yes, there are many freeloader pastors. A lot of hirelings. Be very careful. Analyze the formula. We didn't eat anybody's bread free of charge. In fact, it's the opposite. Look for the pastor who who gladly spends and gladly is spends and is spent for the saints. We did not eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day. You know what that translates? It says, but worked and with labor and toil night and day. It's to toil with Weariness and difficulty night and day. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. As much as we read the book of Acts, as much as we read these letters, 
It's like, wow, Paul was like pouring in. The word is running swiftly. And 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, the word of the Lord is still running swiftly. And look, the Lord is at work and using vessel Paul and vessel Timothy and vessel Sylvanus. And wow, it's so beautiful to see these things happen. And we see the hands and feet of Paul in the book of Acts. We see the heart of Paul in his letters. Well, don't forget what we don't see. You think in his off time, he's sleeping. In his off time, he's catching a game. In his off time, he's, you know, whatever he's doing. Catching a game, sleeping over here. No. You know what he's doing? Number one, he's praying. But number two, he's a tent maker. He's working. Picture going into town, like going to synagogue, but before synagogue, buying material for a tent. Going to synagogue, teach, people come to Christ, both Jew and Gentile come to Christ, teach more. Everybody's sound asleep. And what is Paul doing? Taking the material of his tents, pulls out his needle, and starts making tents, sewing away. Wakes up in the morning, sells a tent. And with the proceeds of that tent, this bubble, this holy bubble, the next generation of ministry leaders... Pastors, overseers, elders, ministry leaders, providing for them. We got some money, profits from selling tents. Here's our meal. Here's breakfast. Here's lunch. Here's dinner. Exhausted. Exhausted. And praying for the saints. Exhausted. Teaching in the synagogue. Exhausted. Buying material for tents. Exhausted. Teaching more. Exhausted. Writing a letter. Exhausted praying, exhausted buying the tent material, exhausted selling the tent. We have to have a proper perspective here. Sold out for the Lord, sold out for the work of the ministry. And Surely saints would be here, Paul, stay here, stay with us. Don't worry about this. Here, Paul, eat. We got a meal for you. Paul says, no. Freely I have received, freely I give. The toil, the work, the labor, and the toil, weariness and difficulty, night and day, Come on, Paul, speed it up. Come on, don't go out all day. Speed it up, Paul. Maybe he's just tired. 
Maybe he's exhausted. Come on, Paul, speed it up. Let's go, Paul, come on. He's just tired, let him speak. He's only slept for 20 minutes, let him speak. I wonder what Dr. Luke told him. You see? Hey, Paul, you got to get some rest. I love you, Paul. You're my brother. I love you. We love the Lord together. And here we are together. Don't forget, Dr. Luke wrote Acts. But Paul, you know, get some sleep. Show me how to make the tent, Paul. So, you know, you can sleep and I'll do like you do. You get some sleep, you show me how to do the tent, I'll do the tent, you get some sleep. You see? We have to have things in proper perspective here. He's not a freeloader. And Paul, who's not like the average bear, doesn't teach those who are not like the average cub, doesn't teach them to be freeloaders. He says in verse 8, we didn't eat anyone's, anyone's bread free of charge, but worked and with labor and toil night and day, not just during the day. Oh, business hours, so I'm going to do work. No. Midnight, two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. Night and day. And don't forget, nonstop. Teaching, praying, writing letters, making tents, selling tents nonstop. Little sleep here, little sleep there. You see, don't forget his his super sermon. Remember Acts twenty. All night into the like so much so deep into the night that it was the next morning. The guy fell out of the window. Remember Acts twenty. He's been walking with us for a while. Is Paul trying to be Superman? Why is he doing this? Why is why is he living like this? Look, he can sleep over here, and look, Paul, we got a nice room for you. We can you can sleep here. We got our nice Giza sheets. We can you, look. You have a nice nice warm bed. You got look. Our fridge is fully stocked. Uh, Paul, look, look. It's it's for you, Paul. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's okay. Is Paul doing it for his own selfish ambition? No. The reason he says in verse 8, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Wow. Don't forget, Thessalonica, that's boomtown. That's boomtown. I meant today we have like, oh, oh, I'm in ministry. I'm in ministry. What's your ministry? Oh, I'm a church planter. The Lord called me to be a church planter. Oh, interesting. Where are you planting churches? Well, the Lord called me to Barbados, and I planted a church there. And then the Lord called me to Bermuda, and the Lord is calling me to Seychelles, and the Lord is calling me to, you know, uh, 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 wherever. All the tropical places. Very interesting. Don't forget, Thessalonica was Boomtown. I mean, think of the tithers in Boomtown. 
You see? I mean, have you ever been in a fellowship in a poor community and then you go to a fellowship in a rich community? It's how hardships that are spoken of are still hardships, but different. Where in a poor fellowship, somebody is praying and needs help with rent that's maybe 500 bucks. But in a different community, somebody has the same experience except it's $3,000 rent. You see? Now, we have to be careful there as well. With this ideology of, oh, how dare, you know, oh, that's, that's too much money, that's too much money, that's too much money. And it depends. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. But then at the same time, geographically speaking, to understand like, well, that's kind of like, you know, median for this area, median for this area, median in, you know, household income in some areas are like, quadruple other areas we have to understand demographic remember the 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 roman soldier centurion when he's talking to paul i'm a roman citizen you know i I paid a lot of money i'm a citizen by because of a lot of money i saved up a lot of money and i'm a roman citizen you know how is it that you're a roman citizen paul says that's nice I'm a Roman citizen by birth. Whoa. That puts things in perspective in terms of Paul's denial. What Paul's lifestyle could have been. And yet here he is in jail. Here he is in Sleeping on grass, making tents. You see, it puts things in perspective. Think of the tithers in Thessalonica. Remember, Thessalonica, which attracted Demas. You see, abandoned Paul. Bright lights, big city, land of opportunity. Remember Thessalonica's boomtown. Think of the tithers in boomtown. And even still, Paul says, that's nice. I don't want it. Verse 8, we didn't eat anybody's bread free of charge. We worked with labor and toil night and day that we we might not be a burden to any of you. We don't want your money. We don't want your money. And he says in verse 9, not because we do not have authority, because biblically speaking, you know, you shall not muzzle the ox. Biblically speaking, pastors can earn income by the proceeds and the giving of the saints. Now, remember in our studies in the Old Testament, if you've been walking with us for a while, we see in Leviticus, like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, people would give to the Lord Animal sacrifice to the Lord. Remember the transactions. That's one transaction. A person giving to the Lord. Sacrificing unto the Lord. That's transaction number one. Transaction number two is the Lord unto the priesthood. 
And so the priest doesn't have to go out hunting. The priest doesn't have to go to the marketplace and buy meat for it to eat. The priest can take of that offering, which was given to the Lord, and now the Lord gives to the priests and says, okay, here's the offering that is sacrificing unto me, but here, slice off this, and this is for your food. You see, there's two transactions. The person offering to the Lord and the Lord who, that's transaction number one. Transaction number two is the Lord who's giving provision to the priests. Old covenant. New covenant, very similar. A person gives to the Lord, financially to the Lord. Of that portion, there is a portion that is for the pastor, for the church, for for like the pastor's paycheck, so to speak, so that he can pay rent, pay his mortgage. But yet there is widespread abuse. Because the pastor is not just paying rent. He's buying mansion over here, mansion over there, mansion over here, mansion over there. Oh, look, the Lord is calling me over here. He's getting his private jet. Foolish hirelings, fools. And Paul says, we don't want it. It's not because we don't have authority is what Paul says. Here's his reason. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us or imitate us. Follow us. To make ourselves an example. You know how that translates? It's a pattern for emulation. Wow, I'm going to do like Paul. I'm going to do like Paul. Paul says this and the formula is right. Okay, I'm going to do like he says. I'm going to do what he says. And not just what he says. I'm going to do like he does. I'm going to do what he says. And I'm going to do like he does. You see? Because Paul himself is no faith without works. It's faith with works. Belief with obedience. And Paul even in his living, he is teaching. Paul is teaching in what he says. Paul is teaching in what he writes. And Paul is teaching in how he lives. That's a vessel of the Lord. For Paul to say, follow me as I follow Christ. You do that, you'll enter paradise. You see? Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say it. Follow me as I follow Christ. But to follow, we, you and me, we are the ones who have to understand the formula. Because anybody can say it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, everybody, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. No, you do that, you'll burn in hell. Follow me as I follow Christ. Come on, we're going grave soaking. That's not following Christ. But Paul says it. That's the path to paradise. Timothy says it, that's the path to paradise. 
Titus says it, that's the path to paradise. The defunct of Corinth say it, that's the path of wilderness. For the saints, for the pastors, that door of lake of fire is open. You see? That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers because teachers are held to a stricter account. Pastors are held to a stricter account because if the pastor teaches wrong and a person follows the teaching of that pastor, of that teacher. Now, if the pastor's wrong and that person's blood, that person as a result of their own sin, as a result of false teaching, all of a sudden that person is burning in hell when he dies, when he enters eternity. And he's instead of, oh, but my, my pastor told me I was going to go to heaven. That's nice. What does the word of God say? You see, it's too late at that point. But do you know how much worse it's going to be for the pastor, so-called pastor? See, a lot of men, women too, they want to be pastors. Like, oh, I want the stature. I want the pastor. I want to be a pastor. I want the special part. I want the recognition. I can have, you know, thousands and thousands of followers, millions of followers. Oh, look, I can be an influencer. I can write these books. I can do this. I can do that. I can charge for this. I can charge for that. I can teach about this and say for 1995, for this love offering of 1995, we'll send you this. Sow a seed into heaven. Sow a seed into the kingdom of God. You write a check for $1,000 and we'll send you this love gift. Look, we'll give you this for free. They're cheating the tax system. They're cheating the tax system. Pulling profit. Money laundering. Because a uh, pastor writes a book. And so what they do, they do bulk sales. And they sell it to a church or a ministry. And so they have the, like hundreds of boxes, you know, all filled with these books. So it's, 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 it's written up as, you know, sold books. So now all of a sudden it goes into the New York Times bestseller list. It makes the New York Times bestseller list. And it figure, okay, New York Times bestsellers. So all these people are buying this book. No, not a lot of people are buying the book. You know, a church paid for the book or a ministry Paid for boxes of books. So it's one ministry and where there's real fraud is when it's all under the same umbrella of the same ministry. So a so-called pastor writes a book and then all of a sudden the pastor says, okay, I'm going to buy 10,000 copies of this book. So it goes New York Times bestseller. Wow, look, all these people are buying these books. You know, this week, thousands of people bought it. Thousands of people bought it here. Thousands of people bought it here. So now you have in the books of the church or the organization that they spent this money to buy these books, made the New York Times bestseller, which opens the door for more profit, which you look at the profit and loss of the entity, and it's kind of a wash, especially using clergy tax code. And now all of a sudden they say, well, you know, we're going to have this conference and we're going to give this book and, you know, it, it retails for 20 bucks. But we're going to give it to you, you know, for $15. Because we love you, we're going to give you a nice little savings for 15 bucks. They're like double dipping, in some cases triple dipping. And the money rolls in. 
fools. The money rolls in. Money laundering. That's what they're doing. Money laundering. And then they walk around. They got their, their pearly white teeth. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Like little car salesmen. Fools. And they know nothing about doctrine. They say, oh, look, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, do the Eucharist according to Rome, according to Catholicism. Look, we're going to do the Eucharist by my book, you know, crazy love, crazy unity by this book. And oh, yes, we're one with the Catholics, unity with the Catholics. They know nothing about doctrine. Sound doctrine. God is their belly. And that's who they serve. Just like we see in the Old Testament serving the Molex, the Baals, the Asterisks. Nothing new under the sun. See? We stress formula, 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 formula for a reason. You see? Paul says, look, we don't want to be a burden to you. We don't want your money. I slept for 20 minutes, he says. Ah, paraphrasing. I got no sleep. No sleep last two days. I pray for you. I teach you. I study the Bible. I study Torah. I teach. I pour. I talk a little slow sometimes because I'm tired. I'm paraphrasing. Dr. Luke tells me I better sleep or I'm going to die. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. I go to the marketplace, sell my tents. Provide for the bubble. We eat, we have a nice meal. Little Timmy is hungry. But he's learning. Learning not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Little Timmy is learning. You see? Paul teaches in word. Paul teaches in deed. For little Timmy, it's safe. How to be a pastor. For Titus, it's safe. How to be a pastor. Little Timmy goes to, you know, crazy love guy? No, not safe. Don't do that, little Timmy. That's a hireling. You see? Oh, but the New York Times bestseller. That's nice. It's money laundering. You see? And Paul's making ourselves, making himself and the bubble, making ourselves an example in verse 9. An example, a pattern for emulation of how you should follow us. You see? And so we continue here in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Whoa, you see? It is a biblical truth. The Christian sharing and bearing in burdens, saintly generosity, it is absolutely a biblical truth. But it does not mix with unbiblical walks. 
because there are those who take advantage of Christian generosities. Oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to fill in the blank. Oh, look, I'm hard up for cash flow. You're a Christian. You're supposed to help me. Little guilt trips. Attempting to guilt, shame, and manipulate, which is carnal and can also be demonic. But you look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. 97% of the time, when people, you hear a person say, oh, you're a Christian, you're supposed to... Uh, help this guy. You're a Christian. You're supposed to do this. You're a Christian. You should do this. You're a Christian. You should do that. 97% of the time, it is said by either the fool or the demonic. 97% of the time. Attempting to guilt, attempting to shame, attempting to manipulate. 3% of the time, it's said by the godly. Who want to help you. Not for their own gain, but to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. You have to observe the fruit. A person says, you should do this. Look, you're a Christian. You should do this. Immediately. Immediately, what you do is you look at them. Look at them. Look at their past choices. Look at their past choices which have gotten them to their present state. Look at what was sown. Look at the doctrine that they prescribed to. Observe the fruit. Look at the fruit. Oh, you're a Christian. You should do this. Then you immediately look at the fruit. Okay, this guy's crazy. He's a basket basket case. He says he's a Christian, but look, he's on his fifth marriage and his previous wives aren't dead. And okay, he says you should do this. And okay, he's a fool. I'm not going to do what he says. This lady says, oh, you're a Christian. You should do this. Okay, immediately you look at the fruit. Okay, doctrine's off. She's in crazy town in terms of doctrine. You look at the fruit of her past decisions. Okay, she's crazy. She's not following wise counsel. Okay, she's crazy. She's a, She says I should do this, but okay, immediately you know she's a fool. Another person says, oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to do this. And you look okay. She's an addict. She's addicted to drugs. She's under the influence of drugs, pharmakia, sorcery. And she's attempting to send me on a guilt trip in serving her father, the devil. That's not just a fool. That's a demonic trap. That is a spiritual attack. And they use the guilt trip. Oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to do this. Immediately look at the fruit. Okay, doctrine's wrong. She followed very poor counsel. She's crazy. Look at her present state as a result of her past decisions. Okay, it's revealed. She's a fool. And you know, I'm not going to follow a fool. 
Because the Bible says, don't follow the fool. You see? Ladies under pharmakia, guys under pharmakia. Sorcery. The demonic realm. Oh, you're a Christian, you're supposed to do this. A guy's in habitual sin, been doing the meth for 10 years, habitual sin. You see, the addict. You're a Christian, you're supposed to do this. Now you know. This isn't just Levin territory. When you mix in drugs in there, sorcery, you open yourself up to the demonic realm. Remember, you open to the pneumos, you open to the pneumos. Now you know. This is the demonic attention. He's not just stupid. He's not just a fool. She's not just stupid. She's not just a fool. Now, this is demonic. Immediately, look at the fruit. I'm not going to follow that. No, she's crazy. No, he's crazy. She's a demon. I'm not going to follow. He's a demon. I'm not going to follow. They acknowledge that I'm a Christian, and yes, I'm a Christian, but I serve the Lord. I serve the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, not the fake Jesus that they're trying to give me a guilt trip. I'm not going to get a guilt trip over the fake Jesus that they propagate. How do you know it's the fake Jesus? Look at their life. Look at their choices. Look at their present state in conjunction with past choices that got them to their present state. Oh, I'm afflicted. Oh, I'm under demonic attack. Oh, I'm under attack. No, that's not attack. You ran to that. By your present state, you're exposing your past foolishness and present foolishness in refusing to repent. And you want me to follow your counsel? Who's the fool? You see? Sometimes it's said by ministry leaders, do not follow. When it's said by the fool, when it's said by the demonic, don't you dare follow. Sometimes it's ministry leaders, don't you dare follow. Sometimes it's family, biological family. Sometimes it's biological family which can make the decision even more difficult, which can make the guilt trips even more difficult. You see? Oh, we're from the same blood. You see? Don't forget that in the last days, it's, you know, Biological family that will want you dead. In the last days, biological family will want you dead. Threats will come even from among biological family. Those under your own roof. A man's enemies will be those under your own roof. A woman's enemies will be those under your own roof. And we're moving closer and closer and closer to that time. And in some cases, it's already here. In some homes, it's already here. Then they give you the guilt trip. Oh, but... We're family, we're family, we're family. Look, we're family, we're family. But we're of a different family. I've been called a home wrecker. I've been called divisive. Oh, look, you want my kids against me. Oh, look, you want me against this. Look, you want this person against this. And... You're so divisive. You're so divisive. 
But I speak of a different family. I advocate a different family. Where we find Isaac and Jacob and Hannah and Rahab and Ruth and Jeremiah and Priscilla and Achilla and Chloe and Paul and Timothy. Heirs of Abraham by faith. That's the family I teach. That's the family I advocate for. And that's the family I stand in. Oh, but you're so divisive. You're so divisive. You're so divisive. That's nice. Balls in your court. You see? Look at the fruit. Because today you have crackpots giving counsel and they presume it to be godly counsel. But when you look at the fruit, you see, wow, that person's a fool. That lady's a fool. That guy's a fool. That lady's demonic. That guy's demonic. But he's a pastor. That's nice. Servant of Satan. But she's family. That's nice. Servant of Satan. You see? But she's family. That's nice. She's crazy. Look at verse 10. Even when we were with you, we commanded you this. This is nothing new for the saints. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And remember, a lot of times, what you have inside the church, the world is the world, but inside the church, you have people taking advantage of Christian principles. Principles by which you and I live. And you have people taking advantage of those things for their own gain. They don't want to work. They don't want to get a job. They'll play video games. They're old. Wake up in the morning, play video games. Go to bed late at night, still playing video games. And then, oh, look, I'm hard up for cash flow. I'm hungry. Look, the Bible says you're supposed to help the hungry, feed the hungry, and that's me. So let me have some food. Come on, feed me. You see? And a person refuses to work. And if anyone won't work, okay, you made your choice. And as a result of your choice of refusing to work, I'm making my choice in response, which is, okay, you're not going to eat. Straight up. And I've been in situations before where, you know, a guy's hard up for cash flow. Go visit, you know, hey, God bless you. How you doing? Kind of make some observation. You're like, okay, what is something? Something's different here. Open the fridge. See like a jar of like one pickle in there. Okay, come on. Let's go to the grocery store. We go to the grocery store. Whatever you want, you know, buy, you know, whatever you want. You get you this, that, you know, bread, whatever. Load up the fridge, load up the pantry. Okay, now look for a job. Get a job. Week later, couple weeks later, playing video games. Playing video games. Oh, my fridge is low. Let's go back to the grocery store. That's nice. Not going to happen. You see, you need to get a job. And if you don't eat, well, it's because you're not working. You're refusing to work. You're making your choice. You're refusing to work. 
You don't work, neither shall he eat. Just like the Bible says, verse 10. And today, we live in a time where people take advantage of Christian generosity. But pastor, I'll say it again. If you're not a pastor, close your ears. Pastors, keep the house of God clean. Keep the house of God pure. Or burn in hell. Balls in your court, pastor. Okay? Undo your ear. You can listen now. Because the pastors, the overseers, the elders, the overseers should be on watch for this. Hey, brother, what's up with work? Hey, sister, what's up with work? You see? Hey, brother, what's up with work? You know, how come this is happening? How come this is happening? I hear that you go go into this house and you raid the fridge of all these brothers and sisters. What's happening, brother? You see? Says, well, I can't get a job. I can't get a job. Then, okay, look. We have, you know, uh, we'll help you out. You need a job here. You can, uh, there's another brother over here who's a business owner. Let me talk to him. Then all of a sudden, you know, the guy gets a job and things happen. The guy, the guy gets the job and all of a sudden it's, the, the business owner gives a report and says, listen, this guy doesn't show up to work. He shows up late. He, you know, he skips days and he's a freeloader. Now something is revealed. You see? You give all this opportunity to bear one another's burdens for the saints to exercise and grow within the confines of sound doctrine. But then you have the abusers, the manipulators. See? And that, it opens up a different course of action. Because look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among among you in a disorderly manner. Remember, is unruly, insubordinate, or even as an addict. Habitual sin. Habitual behaviors. And we hear that there are some among you who walk in a disorder, disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Whoa. Very interesting what we see here. Good old busybody is my favorite, not not working problem. They're not working. They're not working. So what are they doing? How do they occupy their time? They meddle. As an interloper, they interfere in the lives of others and not for the benefit of others. They're manipulators, busybodies, attempting to guilt and shame and manipulate. Oh, you're a Christian. You should do this. You're a Christian. You should do that. Good old busybodies, interlopers, not doing anything for the kingdom. Busybodies, not advancing the kingdom but are more of a strain on the kingdom. If your conduct and counsel is more of an interference than a blessing, chances are you're a busybody. I'll say that again. If your conduct and counsel is more interference than blessing, you're probably a busybody. Look at the fruit. 
Because if you give counsel and people follow your counsel and then it just turns into bad fruit, you need to repent. Because you think you're giving godly counsel, but you're a fool. You think you're giving godly counsel and you're potentially demonic. You need to repent. And I say that to the busybody. All you have to do is look at the fruit. You give counsel and somebody follows the counsel. And then it just turns to rot. Yes, they bear responsibility. But so does the busybody. You see, repentance is required. Repent, 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 repent. Don't meddle. Conduct your own vessel. You ever see busybodies? There's like, oh, this guy needs to do this. This lady needs to do this. This guy needs to do this. Or this guy's not doing this. This lady's not doing this. And you look at their life and you're like, look at you. Look in the mirror. Look at, look at your present state as a result of your past decisions. You are proving yourself to either be a fool or either be a fool or demonic. By what spirit do you have the authority to even say this? Because listen, you gave counsel to this guy. Look at him. Look at his state of ruin as a result of your counsel. You gave counsel to this lady. Look at her state of ruin as a result of your counsel. You see? That's a busybody. There are many busybodies in the church today. Many, 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 many busybodies. But we look at the formula. I mean, you know what's so beautiful about knowing the Bible, abiding in Christ, loving truth, full counsel of the word of God? Because when you're a baby, somebody could say, oh, you're a Christian, you're supposed to do this. And you kind of feel like, oh, wow, maybe I should. This person's been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Surely he knows what's right. Surely she knows what is right. But when you're a Berean, you know the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. When you know it and then somebody says, hey, you're a Christian, you should do this. You know, she's on crack. Hey, you're a Christian. You need to do this. Nah, that guy's crazy. Hey, you're a Christian. You should do this. That's demonic. You know what you're dealing with. And that's one of the beauties of maturing in Christ. Not just maturing, but being deadly in Christ. You see, safety in sound doctrine, abiding in Christ. It's a big problem today. A lot of busybodies. And what's worse is when busybodies are in a biological family because it makes it difficult. There's added difficulties. Oh, but my mom and dad told me this. My mom and dad told me this. Surely they want what's best for me. You see, it makes things very difficult. Because it's most likely that they want good things for you. But if you have to look at their doctrine, what they abide in, because they want good things for you in accordance with false doctrine. Come on, son, let's go grave soaking. 
Come on, son, you know, get in the car. We're going to go lay on the graves just like this pastor says we should. And look, he's a godly man. Look, son, I want good things for you, son. I want you to, you know, have a good life. Come on, let's go grave soaking. Hey, son, look, here's the crazy love. Read the crazy love. Hey, baby girl, look, the guy says take the mark of the beast. You'll still be safe. Come on. Let's get in the car. We're going to go get our marks. You see? You figure, surely mom and dad want what's good for us, what's good for me. Surely mom and dad, they want that. And yes, it's very likely the case. But in accordance to what doctrine? Hey, baby girl, come on, let's go grave soaking. You see? A lot of busybodies. Church is in big trouble. Big, 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 big trouble. A lot of trouble. Why? Pastors. Pastors. Who refuse to teach. Refuse to teach truth. Why do they refuse to teach truth? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe they're defunct themselves. Maybe they don't know truth, which is, you know, let not many be teachers. Or maybe they're a hireling. Or maybe they're a wolf. Or maybe they're a servant of Satan. You see? And the sheep. And the sheep. The flock of God. We need to be Bereans. Because yes, there are busybodies. Yes, there are wolves. Yes, there are hirelings. And yes, there are the faithful shepherds. How will you know? In verse 12, now those who are such, remember, we're speaking about the busybodies, the meddlers, the interlopers. We command and exhort. Remember, exhortation includes warning. Remember our study in the Corinthian letters and Ephesians and Galatians. Exhortation includes warning. People have this misnomer. Oh, exhortation should make me feel good. Exhortation, look, I'm all for exhortation because it makes me feel good. Well, what about when exhortation is a warning? Because exhortation, which can have warning and does have warning, might not feel good for the moment. But in the aftermath through repentance, exhortation is beautiful. You see, people have this idea, well, exhortation, I'm supposed to feel good about myself. Well, if you're in sin and exhortation, you have this idea that exhortation is going to make you feel good? No. I mean, carnal exhortation probably will. But exhortation from the Word of God and the Spirit of the Lord? No, you're going to feel the conviction of the Spirit. And you need to repent. But we live in a time where we have 10,000 churches on every corner with 10,000 pastors. You see? Oh, I don't like what this guy says. He's crazy. Oh, he's so mean-spirited. He says that I'm a busybody. He says that I'm, that, you know, that, that I'm a, an addict. So what if I do the pornography? So what if I do the sex? And so what if my sons are following my example? And I'm a sex head and now my sons are sex heads and they want to do their sex. And look, we'll do the sex in their home. They want to be with their girlfriend in their bedroom under my roof. And 
Look, so be it. Look, they're guys. Let guys be guys. They want to do their sex. Okay. The daughters, they want to do their whatever. Let them do whatever. Oh, this is all fine and dandy. I want to go to church and feel good about myself. The pastor says, oh, look, this is sin. This is sin. This is sin. Oh, how dare you, pastor? Oh, you're so mean-spirited, pastor. I'm going to go over here to this church where the guy's going to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. So we have churches everywhere. Churches are everywhere. Everywhere. Remember, you have 10,000 teachers. Just like Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. And Paul says in verse 12, Now those who are such, which are the meddlers and the busybodies, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Notice three things here. Three things here. Verse 11 says that they're busybodies, but they're not working at all in verse 11. So the remedy in verse 12, work, work, Number two, be quiet, which is quiet and silence. Work in quietness. And three, eat your own bread. The freeloading freeloading days are over. The days of running your jibs, over. Be quiet. Get to work or don't eat. You see, Paul just lays it out. You don't work, you don't eat. You're a busybody, okay, get to work, be quiet, eat your own bread. No more freeloading. Don't go to this guy's house and raid his fridge. Don't go to this lady's house and raid his fridge. No, no more guilt trips. Oh, you're a Christian, you're supposed to feed me. Oh, you hear my stomach growl? Oh, you're a Christian. That's the spirit of the Lord saying that I'm hungry. And that's the spirit of the Lord saying you need to feed me. You see, little guilt trips. They speak Christianese. Remember, exhortation includes warning. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. Mean? Mean? Look at the destruction of the busybody. And I'm the bad guy. Look at the destruction of the busybody which is either foolishness or demonic. The busybody. Look at the state of the busybody who's in a state of ruin as a fruit, as the fruit of his own doing and his past choices or as the fruit of her own doing and past choices. And you see, wow, this person followed his counsel. This person followed his counsel. This person followed her counsel. This person followed her counsel. And look at the destruction in their homes. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. I'm the bad guy. Look at the fruit of the busybody, the nasty, rotten fruit of the busybody. Oh, but I just love the Lord and I feel it in my heart that the Lord wants you to do this. That's nice. That's nice. Because the spirit of the Lord guides in the truth of God's holy word. The spirit of the Lord doesn't guide in stupidity. That's the spirit that you follow. I'm mean, going give an example if you're speaking to such a busybody. Not you, like, you know, the remnant, the saints. I'm speaking about the busybody. Who's a fool or demonic? 
Who needs to repent? You see? We have to be wise. Look, we're in the last days. I know this. We're, we're, not, we're not even in the like the. This is like the lily field. You know, we're just galloping through the lily field. This is nothing. It's going to get much, 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 much worse. A million times, a trillion times worse. This is nothing. And already, you see lamps are going out. You're seeing lamps starting to fade. Who is heeding sound doctrine? Who is following sound doctrine? Where is sound doctrine to be found? Thus fulfilling another last day's prophecy. A famine of the word of God. Where is the word of God found? You and me, we must have a profound love of truth. Learn to make bread. Store your oil. You see? In verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. I love this so much because... This is a major problem with the defunct pastors and meddlers we have today who do not have the spirit or who have extinguished the spirit because they give guidance and counsel and saints follow. You see, sometimes, you know, with these, the meddlers and the pastors, you know, the defunct pastors and the meddlers, sometimes they say, you know, the Bible does say this, so you should do this. And when you're a young Christian, you look at the Bible, you see the Bible, you see the scriptures, and you're like, yeah, yeah, the Bible does say this. He's right, she's right, the Bible does say this, so I'm going to do it. But now you have to look at the source. Because when it's said by the defunct or encouraged by the defunct pastor or meddler, who have not the spirit or who have quenched or extinguished the spirit. The person is a basket case and it leads the saint to become a basket case. And in that state, saints grow weary. I mean, picture, for example, you and me, Say we're baby Christians, we're milk drinkers. And a person's been a Christian for 20 years. Male, female, I don't care. And we're baby Christians, we're milk drinkers. And we're there sitting sitting on a couch. And we're milk drinkers. And the so-called mature Christian, which we figure they've been a Christian for 20 years, the mature Christian gives counsel. And we heed that counsel. And a week later, we're like in a state of mess. So we go back to that person. And we're like, hey, look, you know, this happened like this. This happened like this. And oh, you're under demonic attack. That's spiritual warfare. You know, Satan doesn't like that. So I'm going to give you this other counsel. Now do this. And we say, okay, we're milk drinkers. But, you know, you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. Surely you know what's up. So we're going to follow your secondary counsel. Okay, we do that. And it gets worse. It makes the problem worse. You see? And then we go back to the person walking with the Lord for 20 years, 30 years, we'll say. Been a Christian their whole life. Surely they know what what they're talking about because they've been a Christian for so long. And we're just milk drinkers. 
We come back and say, hey, look, it didn't work so well the first time. It got worse the second time. And we don't know what to do. Oh, Satan is intensifying his attacks. That means that you're, you're on the right track. You're under spiritual attack. That means you're on the right track. That's a good sign. So now I want you to do this and do this and say this and say this. We, you know, we're baby Christians. We're milk drinkers. And we do, we follow that counsel. And then it makes things even worse. Even worse. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It happens over and over and over and over. And you and I, we're baby Christians, we're milk drinkers. And we've been following the counsel of a fool. And we didn't know. And then we read the Bible and it's like, you know, the Lord says these promises. The Lord says this. The Lord promises this. The Lord promises all these biblical truths. And we're like, man, how come we don't feel that? How come we don't have that? How come we don't have those reassurances? Because look, this the counsel of this person. 20 years, 30 years. Surely they know what they're talking about. Surely he's mature. Surely she's mature. And I'm applying the counsel and doing the counsel and all these things. And I read the Bible and I don't have still waters. And I look at you. I say, how about you? Do you have still waters? You say, no, I don't have green pastures either. And I say, you're right. You don't have green pastures. We don't have green pastures. We don't have still waters. And we have, we read the Bible. We're following this counsel from this person who's been supposedly a Christian her whole life, his whole life, a long period longer than us. Surely they know what they're talking about. Rinse, repeat. It happens over and over and over and over and over. And after a year of doing the exact same thing, it's not just worse like the first time. It's worse like a hundred times over. Ruin, destruction, a path of destruction, all from crazy counsel, unbeknownst to us because we were just baby Christians. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because in that example, you and me, we can grow weary. We can grow weary. But what happens when you and me, we hit the brakes on the council? We say, no more. Maybe that's what it is. We're, we're not going to listen to this council anymore. And then we grow and matriculate. We mature together. We study 1 Corinthians. I'm like, wow, look, they're Christians are beautiful. Second Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter one. Wow, they're beautiful. First Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter three. Whoa, they're milk drinkers. Okay, that sounds like us. First Corinthians chapter four, first Corinthians chapter five. Oh my goodness, they got to separate from, look at all this mess that was happening in the church. That sounds like our church. That sounds like the counsel that this guy gave. That sounds like the counsel that this lady gave. That sounds like where we go to church. You see? And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, 8. We get into 2 Corinthians. It's like, wow. And we get into Galatians and we study more. We're like, okay, this is uh, uh, in Corinth. It was more carnal. In Galatia, now it's spiritual because uh, you're, people want to go back to the law. Who are they listening to? And remember how Paul says you might well put up with it. And then all of a sudden we read, we study Galatians. We're like, wow. And we're not receiving counsel from the crazy person anymore. 
Male, female, I don't care. We're not receiving that stupid counsel. We're studying the word of God together. Then we realize, oh my goodness, we're fellowshipping, fellowshipping in a church. We go to a church where the pastor's defunct. Oh my goodness. Not just that. This guy who we got counsel from, he's straight up crazy. This lady who's been a Christian for 30 plus years, we assume that she knew what she was talking about. She's straight up crazy town. And maybe she's not crazy. Maybe she's straight up demonic. You see? And then we look at each other and we're like, oh my goodness, what do we do? We jump ship. We know the formula. Now we look for the pastor. Where would we find the pastor? Lord, you know, help us find a help us find a godly man. Help us find a godly man that we could submit ourselves to. Who watches out for our souls. Help us find a godly man that we could submit ourselves to. Because we're going to paradise. And we want to understand even more. You see, the real spirit of the Lord leads to the real Jesus who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in that truth, there is no weariness in the promises of the Lord. But through false counsel, through bad counsel, through the busybody, the meddler, the interloper, the defunct pastor, the defunct elder, the defunct teachers, the the busybody included, they give all this bad counsel. And then when Jesus says, my burden is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, saints can have a mindset like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because here I am living the Christian life, you know, seemingly Christian life. I'm following this counsel from this seemingly godly person. And yet, I'm weary. Your yoke isn't easy, Lord. Your burden isn't light, Lord. And you know what the Lord says? That's not my yoke. That's not my yoke. You see? The whole time we thought we were under the yoke of the Lord. But we weren't. We were under the yoke of the stupid. The yoke of the fool. Remember, many Christs in the last days. Many, many, many Christs in the last days. Many, many false teachers in the last days, propagators of the false Jesus, the false Christ. But the real Jesus, his word is above his name. You and me, remember, we were following the counsel of the defunct guy, the defunct lady, the the meddler, the interloper. We heeded the counsel. And we pray, we seek the face of the Lord, Lord. Your yoke isn't easy, Lord. I'm weary. We're weary. Look. And the Lord says, that's not my yoke. You see? And we see that and we realize that from his word, growing and maturing in Christ, Now we see the seemingly mature Christian who we realize now is a meddler. Now we see him for 
who he really is. Now we see her for who she really is. You see? Instead of advancing the kingdom, he or she is restricting the kingdom. And sometimes such meddlers are family members, biological family members. We make these distinctions, understanding that the defunct are the defunct. Do not follow, do not heed the defunct. You see, when you're a Berean, you look for the fruit and you look at the formula. And, you know, following Paul, it's joyful. It's a joy. The fruit of the Spirit, it's a joy. To follow Timothy, it's a joy. To follow Titus, it's a joy. Find such men. And the example, you and me, we pray, we're on our faces before the Lord. Lord, your yoke is now easy. Lord, your yoke is now light. Because we yield to you, Lord, in the truth of your word, not the defunct, not the truth of the counsel of the busybody, crazy guy, crazy lady, demonic guy, demonic lady. We understand about looking at the fruit and analyzing the fruit and looking. We understand it. But now, Lord, help us find a godly man, a pastor that we could submit ourselves to, one who watches out for our souls. You see? In the case of Paul, he's, look at the Thessalonian saints in submission to Paul. And look at the Corinthian saints in submission to the defunct. And look at the fruit. You see? Look at the fruit. Beautiful. Remember when we started Corinthians? I told you about my love-hate relationship with the Corinthian saints. I love the saints, but I still have a love-hate relationship. And not the hate of the saints, but the hate of, wow, the the state of the, 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 the leaven as a result of the defunct. And even still, I have a love-hate relationship with Corinth. For that reason, what happens under the leadership of the defunct? In verse 13, we see, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, translate it as to mark that person, and do not keep company with him. You see, just like in Corinth, because the remnant stays holy. If leaven wants to be leaven, they're leaven. I don't say that like, you know, with rejoicing. But I say that in, with, in rejoicing, with rejoicing for the remnant. If leaven wants to be leaven, let them be leaven. If the remnant wants to be a remnant, let them be the remnant. Ball's in your court. You see? Just like in Corinth. If anyone does not obey our word or this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him. Now remember, the formula's got to be right. When Paul says this, to follow Paul, to imitate Paul, safe. To imitate the grave soakers, to follow the grave soakers, not safe. Such a person cannot say this, even though they say it. But any of us can't follow that because the formula is not right. In that person, a person says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. They can say it to their blue in the face. And people can follow to their blue in the feet. But as for you and me, 
we do not follow. Why? Because of what the Bible says. You see? If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person or mark that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. You see? What, what's happening here? In, 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 instead of... Instead of a person... Instead of, I'm ashamed because I'm growing weary. In that state, think of how that can uh, like pose other questions. Like, why am I growing weary? Is it because I don't have faith in the Lord? The Bible says I shouldn't grow weary, but yet I am growing weary. Does that mean I don't trust God? You see, it's a very dangerous game that people play. The false teachers. Sometimes they know not what they do because they're hirelings. They have carnal passions and carnal interests. And sometimes they know exactly what they do because they serve their father, the devil. Saints who grow weary. But why do they grow weary? When Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And saints grow weary. Saints don't have the joy of the Lord. It's because they're yoked to a false Jesus. They're yoked to another Jesus that the real Jesus warns about. But the real Jesus and the spirit of the real Jesus, there's real joy with him. There's real healing with him. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this happens a lot with baby Christians. Because they don't know. They just figure, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to this church. I'm going to go to that church. There's a church around the corner, so I'm going to go there. It's close by, so I'm going to go there. And what happens when they submit themselves to the defunct? All of a sudden, these other questions pop up. Well, how, come, how come I don't have green waters and or still waters and green pasture? How come I don't have the joy of the Lord? How come I don't? How come I'm weary? When the Bible promises this, the Bible promises that, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. Do I not trust in the Lord? Do I not trust God? Look at the, look at the foothold for the enemy through doubt. Because you mix this with false doctrine. And a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ starts asking these questions. Do I not trust in the Lord? And then Satan comes in. Did God really say? Remember the first question in the Bible was from Satan. Did God really say? All these questions are posed within the heart of the baby Christian. Was I never saved? I mean, you couple this with false doctrine. Like, why do I doubt? Why do I doubt? Why do I, why am I weary when the Bible says I shouldn't be weary? And God is sovereign and he predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. And 
If I don't have the joy of the Lord, does that mean I'm not of the elect? Was I never saved? Look at suicides that happen. After receiving counsel in reformed churches, a person comes to the conclusion, I'm predestined for hell. In accordance to reformed theology, which isn't theology, it's a lie. But a person receives counsel from reformed pastor and comes to the conclusion I know that there's people that are predestined to heaven in accordance to Reformed theology. They don't say that, but they don't realize that it's in accordance to Reformed theology. They just figure that's what the Bible says because of what this Reformed pastor says, the Reformed theology guy says. They don't acknowledge that. They don't understand that. They just figure this guy's a pastor. Surely he knows what he's talking about. And the pastor, this person who's... You know, an authority in the Bible, an authority of the Lord. That's how the baby sees pastors. A baby doesn't see a pastor as a wolf. A baby doesn't see the pastor as a hireling. A baby doesn't see the pastor as a threat to their eternal walk with the Lord. They don't see the pastor as a threat to their salvation. They see the pastor as an authority. Now, for a pastor to be authority, the formula better be right. Paul is an authority. Timothy is an authority. Titus, an authority. You see? Mark of the beast guy, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Not an authority. Servant of Satan. Grave soaker, pastor, servant of Satan. You see? But the baby doesn't understand this. The baby Christian receives counsel from the reformed pastor. And says, okay, I'm going to go speak to this minister who, who knows the Bible and is an authority in the Bible and, you know, is an authority with God. And then the Reformed pastor explains predestination in accordance to the theory, but unbeknownst to the baby, the baby is realizing, wow, there's the, that God predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. And the baby Christian starts putting two and two together, coupled with false doctrine, coupled with the whispers of Satan. And the false doctrine is said by the servant of Satan. And the baby Christian receives this counsel, starts putting two and two together in accordance to fuzzy math and says, okay, I don't have the joy of the Lord. Okay, I'm weary. I don't have still waters. I don't have green pastures. I don't have a peace that surpasses understanding. Therefore, I'm predestined to hell. You see? And if I'm predestined to hell... There's no point to life. I'm just going to jump off a bridge because I'm predestined to hell. You see? That's the baby Christian who does not understand that the council is in itself wicked, satanic, demonic, in service to the devil. The baby Christian received counsel from hell. Young kids who commit suicide because they receive counsel, ungodly counsel. And they start putting two and two together in accordance to fuzzy math. 
I don't have the joy of the Lord. I don't have the peace that surpasses understanding. I'm weary. I don't have this. I don't have that. And the Bible says I should have still waters and green pastures. I don't have that. Okay. The evidence, it it's concluded. I'm predestined to hell. You see, what's the point of living if I'm predestined to hell? So, I'm biting the bullet tonight. You see? That's what happens. That's what happens. And the babies don't know. And instead of this happening, you know who really needs to be shamed? Is the source. The source. Don't have company with the disorderly. Which includes those in ministry. Which is why you hear us say, come out of her, my people. You see? Come out of her, my people. It's very important to understand because there's busybodies. Busybodies are all over the place. You know, males, females, old ladies, old guys. Oh, you know what? You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And baby Christians follow up just assuming, okay, look, old lady says this. Old guy says this. Surely he knows what he's talking about. Surely she knows what he's talking about. Unbeknownst to the baby Christian, ladies are crazy. Straight up crazy. Guy's a crackhead. Crazy, straight up crazy town. Strong delusion inside the church. Judgment of the Lord inside the church. Crazy counsel, crazy doctrine, the busybodies. They don't want to work. They wake up in the morning, no job. They wake up in the morning, boom, eat a little bowl of cereal. Start with the busybodiness. Start with the meddling. Start being an interloper. Start interfering with the kingdom of God in people's lives. And you look at the fruit. And Paul says, look, anybody who doesn't obey our word in this epistle, note that person, mark that person. You see, don't keep company with him. In verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy. Now, what happens with him? That's between him and the Lord. Like, don't keep company with him. But then what happens to him or her? That ball's in their court. They might repent and come back to Christ, just like we see in 2 Corinthians. You know, those who who you separated from, now bring him back into the church. But the ball's in their court. Leaven can either stay leaven or leaven can be clean again. Just like leprosy. The leper can stay a leper or the leper can be clean again. But that's between them and the Lord. And so Paul says, don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother or warn him as a brother or caution him as a brother. You see, don't forget, biblical exhortation includes warning and also separation. So you receive counsel, counsel after counsel after counsel, just like the example we gave. You and me, you know, we're baby Christians, you and me. Baby Christians, and we figure, wow, this old guy knows what he's talking about. This old lady knows what she's talking about. They've been Christians their whole life. Surely they know what they're talking about. We receive the counsel. 
Step one, we follow, it's a mess. Step two, we follow, it's a mess. Step three, we follow, it's a mess. A year later, there's just mess all over the place. And then we say, okay, no more with crazy guy, no more with crazy lady. We're going to study the Bible. And we grow, we matriculate, we understand. And now we just, okay, we're done. Crazy lady, no more. Crazy guy, no more. We're done. But then we can go to crazy guy, crazy lady and say, look, we're done. Because you know what? You're a meddler. You're a busybody. And the Bible says not to keep company with you because you meddle. You're a busybody. You're an interloper. You're more of an interference to my advancing in Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Bible says you're a fool. You might be demonic, but the Bible says you're a fool. And you need to repent. I love you. You need to repent. And you're still my brother. You're still my sister. But the Bible says you need to repent. Whether or not you delve deeper into your waywardness, that's between you and the Lord. And, you know, you might delve so deep into waywardness. Remember the deceitfulness of sin? That, I mean... That, you, that the door is open for lake of fire if that's the case but i love you you're an interloper you're a busybody so no more we're done i love you god bless you i'm gonna pray for you but we're done no more of this crazy counsel you say oh that's so mean-spirited are you kidding me we're talking about heaven and hell says separate not to keep company with him that he may be ashamed you see that the source may be ashamed not the Christian the baby Christian is doesn't understand these things and feels shame he shouldn't be ashamed the the baby Christian who feels shame she shouldn't be ashamed it's the source the busybody the meddler the defunct They should be ashamed. You see? And in verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always in every way, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, or which is a sign translates as, which is a token as a sign. Just so happens, it just so happens. We studied this on Wednesday, a true token. It just so happens, it just so happens. A sign in every epistle. So I write. In closing, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.